the truth it can be a drug. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. I'm being baked. I'm being baked like a cake. I should probably try it. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Bowlafterbowl.com. Bowlafterbowl.com. Spark one up. We spark one up. We have blunts here. I've never done a blunt. I'd do one. We're stoned. That's right. Back at it again for another special edition of Bowls with Buds. You're here in the bowl. I'm Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. I'm Dame Dolorian. And joining us, it's the one and only Mo Fax. How you doing? Oh, we're doing wonderful. How are you doing, Mo? I am blessed. I'm blessed. Blessed. And thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. On this wonderful stony Sunday. Uh, right after the No Agenda show. Doing it live on the No Agenda stream and on the Bull After Bull stream. And we appreciate everybody joining us from No Agenda Nation and all the bowlers out there as well. And uh, for those of you new to the format, uh, Bowl After Bowl is our Tuesday night regular show. And this is just another episode of that. Bowls with Buds, we sit down with some of our buds. We get some guests on and we just kind of talk a little bit about, uh, you know, their story. Maybe we get into how it relates to uh, drug war issues. Um, maybe we get into how it relates to the no agenda community. Cause usually there's a lot of crossover there with our buds, of course. Uh, and we just kind of have a relaxed, uh, good time. Good. Get to know you getting to know our buds. And, uh, for those out there who want to ask Mo a question, it's very easy to do. You can do that on our voicemail line. Just pick up your phone and call 816 And uh, if you're voice shy too, there's always an option to text your question in, and uh, we will read it to MoFax, and he'll hopefully have a great answer for us, I'm sure. Um, but thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, I always like to start out with buds, especially if it's their first time in the bowl, just kind of with sort of the story of how we came upon uh, one another's radar and... Uh, for us on our side, we heard the Mo facts um, sort of a little later than when it got started. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly when it was added to the stream, but the first one I remember hearing was after a uh, episode of No Agenda. It was a day kind of like today. I think it was a Sunday uh, episode, and your show was slated right after the No Agenda show, and it was the No Sebo episode. That that was a fun one. That was definitely a fun one. It was cool, and you know, you're talking about um, spells and magic and how it works and how they're cast, and uh, kind of the the reason that the nocebo works and the reason that the placebo works, and all these different aspects. And the breakdown was just so compelling 
Um, and of course, it never hurts to have uh, Adam as your uh, as your co pilot. How uh, I was interested in how you came to kind of launch the show with Adam, and uh, how that all started out. Okay, so I got to start from the beginning um, of Mo Facts, and I don't think I ever told this story in completion. So it'll be a first here. Very cool. Um, I was listening to a YouTuber, uh, one uh, that, I, that I like to frequently listen to their content, and they said, uh, don't be a talker, be a doer. And that was weeks and months before I even, you know what I'm saying, got in contact with Adam. And this, these words rang, rang me like a bell. And it was just, you know, when you hear something, and that sounds very mundane or very... <laughs> Um, generic. Yeah, but just those words rang me like a bell. So, fast fast forward. Thank you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so fast forward. Um. I'm listening to YouTube again, and I free. I listen to YouTube more than I even watch television or any terrestrial radio or anything. Um. That's my main source of entertainment. So I was listening to another uh YouTuber. His name is Star. Um. Uh, Star Terrain with the star report and he had asked the question he said why did jesse smullett leave the noose on his neck Mm. and i said well i have an answer for that (laughs) (laughs) and and the words revisit me don't be a talker be a doer right so he has a number on his screen and i'm like well let me call in and tell him and this is before i'm mo facts this is before anything i'm just mo and so i call into his show and I explained to him why. Uh, and I'll just give you a little, you know what I'm saying, just quickly. I said it's a Masonic ritual because when, you know, Masons, they go through their uh, initiation, they have a noose tied around their neck. Uh, I remember seeing this picture, you know what I'm saying, through my n- numerous trips down wormholes. And that was my answer to him. And I started to lay out, you know, the whole Jesse smell. And I called it, not to give myself a pat on the back, but I called it a hoax way before it was actually, you know, revealed as a hoax. And I was two or three days ahead, you know what I'm saying, of the news cycle. And I would call in again each day. And I'm going to give everybody, like, I'm, I got to tell you the whole story so you know how it started. Yeah, definitely. So he would say, when I would call in, he would like, it's Mo with the facts. Oh, it's Mo oh, with the facts. Beautiful. And so I was like, you know what? That sounds really, <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, so that's how I became Mo Facts. Interesting. And Doing his show gave me the confidence to reach out to Adam uh, when Adam was covering uh, reparations. And like I said, I don't know Adam to this point. I don't know him at all other than just being a listener, uh, uh, not a listener, but a producer of the show, uh, you know, because they don't do listeners. So I'm listening and he says Das. And I'm like, he's on the right track with a couple of details, like the A in Das, because if people don't know, this descendants of, of slavery. So the American part is very important. So I sent him a Twitter DM and the rest is history. We tweet back and forth five hours on his honeymoon. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That's sorry, fantastic. Tina, sorry to keep uh, <laughs> just pulling him away. Right. And, and it started from there and it was, he would ask me questions and I would give him the, you know, the best insight I could. And one day he was like, we should record this. And I'm like, what <laughs> like wow. you know like yeah you know what I'm saying like wow exactly that's uh, you know but that's the that's the whole mofac story and the rest is history um 
We did the first episode not knowing what it was, just a conversation I had, brought sure. some clips. And every week I show up with my bag of clips and we spin the wheel and and we have an awesome conversation. Um That's that's you know, so cool of an origin story because it, it, it <laughs> I feel like pers it just hits home to me personally. All of the all of my most favorite shows that I listen to on the regular all started out that way. It's just a conversation that eventually somebody said, hey, we could make this a podcast. And then eventually, you know, show by show, it just kind of, and brick by brick, the uh, the format kind of builds itself. So it sort of naturally evolves into something mm-hmm. bigger than anybody ever thought at the beginning it could be, which is uh, podcasting is such a fascinating uh, medium in that way. Because, you know, it's not like, oh, we, we got a bunch of funding and then we have to do this by this. And, um, you know, the higher ups are saying that this has to go into the show and this has to go into the show. It's none of that at all. It's just this totally organic seed that p- was planted and that, you know, was cared for enough to just naturally kind of sp- uh, sprout and then grow mm-hmm. and then soak up sun. And then people come by and they water it and they give it love and encouragement and, you know, you look in your rearview mirror a year later, two years later, and you're like, wow, I never would have guessed that, you know, we'd be sitting where we are today uh, back then. And it still feels that way. And the show is still growing and morphing. And, um, you know, it's pretty much there. But, I mean, we, as you know, we don't have a format really other than yeah. <laughs> the conversation as far as we don't have a set demographic that we're going off of with the topics of the conversation. We don't we go from sports to music to uh, current events to like the last show we talked about the Duke lacrosse case, which is uh, history. Right. Um, but I felt it pertinent to talk about it due to the recent uh, Kyle Rittenhouse case and the similarities there. And, and, and Adam's a good sport because he shows up, and he he's really in the seat that you are in, that yep. he doesn't know what's coming. So I think that's what the beauty of the show is. The the uh, producers experience the same experience that he's having at the same time. Yeah, that's um, it's really cool, and to have a an audio wizard like that to just you know bounce all your ideas through and and get his take on it too. It's it's really been fun to watch it uh, evolve, and and like I said. I, I went back and uh, listened to some old ones, mm-hmm. uh, but I haven't listened, you know, to every single show. A lot of people say that when, you know, they talk to you and they're like very into your show and they'll be like, I went back, I listened to every single episode you ever did. And I just, I'm always like in a sort of in between like impressed and disbelief kind of thing when I hear that sort of <laughs> thing. Cause I'm like, I, you know, I've no agenda is probably like, the the Keystone uh, podcast, right? The best mm-hmm. podcast in the universe. It's, it's like the, it's, it's, that's what it is. It's the one everybody like kind of looks to, who, who's t- turned on to it. It's kind of like the what you hold up as the standard that you're trying to like aim for or live up to. Whether it's in terms of audio, whether it's in terms of entertainment, whether it's in terms of authenticity. Um. It's just a really good measuring stick for all of us, especially all of us that love the show and and tune in so often. And um, I just think, like, 
you know, when you're sitting down with the Podfather every week, you got that that extra juice that just gets you uh, gets you going. But um, I, also, I, it was also nerve wracking. Let, let me just add that because, like you said, it's the best podcast in the universe. Sure. And you're sitting down with the Podfather, and you know his co-host is you know equally as you know gifted at podcasting as he is John C. Dvorak. So it's like now you have this um, unproven commodity. I would just say that not for lack of confidence in myself, but just I've never done it. And you sit down and I've just been blessed to work with two legends, one being Star and then next being uh, Adam. It's like, hold on. Sometimes I had to stop and pinch myself, (laughs) like literally. um, does it, uh, not physically actually pinching myself, but like like that check, like sure that step back s- and look at everything, kind of. Yeah, because the only person that really experienced this with me one hundred percent is you know what I'm saying my best friend E class. I call him Coach, and I reference him often on the show um, because he was there after the first call with Star, and I was like, "Hey, I called in the Star," and he was like, "What?" And he was like, and, "Like," and he saw it grow, and then with Adam, it was like. He was, he was like, man, you you're on to something, and it's it's like I said, it's a, it's a a bit of disbelief because how can somebody get that uh be that blessed um to have those be your first two opportunities? <laughs> so I mean, I right. hear now I even chuckle to myself because it's like wow, but at the same time, now to have them as peers. You know, like I said, it's, it gives you that extra little juice to say, if I can do it here, I can do it anywhere. You know, I can. Um, and and I, I was never I was never a public speaker. That was the other thing. I used to shy away from public speaking. Um, I'm not socially. Um, I don't have any social anxieties or shy in that state, but I don't I didn't like being the center of attention of public speaking. I can sure. have a conversation with anybody. That's why the format fits me so well. Yeah, I was, just, I, I, guess, <laughs> I was just about I to guess. say, like, it, it it feels like there there is a public aspect of it, right? It's mm-hmm. especially if you're doing a live segment where um, you you kind of have an idea, like at least this many people are out there listening right now, and we can't necessarily chop up and uh, you know cover up different things that may or may not go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's not a public speaking in that you're standing in front of a room full of people uh, right. and delivering anything. It's still just a conversation. That, right. And that's my strength. That That is truly my strength is um, speaking to people. And one of the things that drives that is the I live my life by the seven habits. And the one habit just is, is huge to me is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Sure. So I hear people, and that gives me the ability to f- formulate um, how I want to communicate to that person individually. I don't come with a narrative for, you know, or a, just like a preset. Oh, this is how it's gonna go. It's you like you can hear with the show. Like yeah. some of the clips that I hear, like play for Adam. I'm thinking that this is a bridge clip to get us from one point to the other. And we'll get stuck on it for 10 minutes. Sure, yeah. Uh, so you never know what you're going to get, and that's the beauty of it. Um, and it's like I said, I'm learning. I'm growing every day. Um, 
So I take this very seriously now. I mean, I serious. I mean, I take this as maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing in life. <laughs> oh, I, th- I think so. I think uh, you're very natural at it, and um, that's that's another interesting aspect of uh, shows like um, shows like this, where you're kind of bringing some preparation and there's you know clips to pull or stories to pull um and a format you you know even if even even the loosest of us uh formatted still have something of a format but mm-hmm. what we're really bringing is like the the kindling and the fuel but then once you hit go once it's your time slot and you're ready then the then the match is lit and then it's just a matter of you know keeping the fire burning and um you know, knowing where to stir it and where to put another log on and all. Um, it's kind of this dance that we do, you know. Um, like, and that's an excellent metaphor right there for that. Like I bring the logs and I bring the, you know, the kindling, but yep. you never know which way the fire is going to burn. You you never yep. know. Um, and just the pace of it. And I give enough room. I leave enough room there that it's not like a strict narrative, like, oh, we got to get through all these clips and that kind of thing. And it's a tapestry. Uh, the reason why I think people really go back and listen is we do throwback clips, but not for the sake of throwback clips, but it's the the crossing of two topics. It's like, you remember when we talked about this on show so-and-so? Now, yeah. you know, think about it in this perspective. And then that drives people to go back and say, what did they talk about? Say maybe you came on on show 50 or 55 and I play a clip from show 30 or 40. People are like, oh, let me go back and listen. And it's like, wow, like that really fit. Or, okay, it 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 leads people back to the uh, previous material. And I never like to say old because I try my best to make it where – no matter when you get on to the show, you can go back and enjoy all the content. Yeah, that's a really cool aspect of it. And I don't know, Lorian has been very good at that uh, lately is she'll be, you know, referencing stories because one of the segments that we do is we track, you know, weed legislation as it rolls out in all the different states across the country and sometimes mm-hmm. even in different countries. Um, and so as cases develop or as, you know, uh, new new hearings are had or new decisions are handed down or um, new appeals come through, she'll reference, you know, the last time that we talked about it. And with 50 different states and 50 different sets of news going on, it's just crazy, uh, you know, talking about all the different ones and the similarities and differences. And if states are learning from other states' mistakes, they're usually not, but... Um, I had mentioned that we heard Nocebo first, which was 32, and of course we went back and listened to some previous ones, Uh, but the one that we heard, the one that really pulled me in and struck struck me was The Shootist, Um, and you kind of talk about uh, the thug culture and the sort of, uh, um, I don't know, the... The, the phrase that you had kind of pointed out that really got me was uh, about being one search away from a totally different outcome, being like one stop and search away from having your life completely altered by the, the justice system as it stands, which was, that's what got me to D-Deadbeat. Uh, mm-hmm. And right after the next episode, I think it was like last, I want to say September, 
uh, sometime in there. And thank you for the thank you for the value. I appreciate. Of, of that. course, yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, you know, well, you want to talk about that? I mean, we I would talk love about to. That yeah, I just I just kind of um, wanted to get your take on because uh, you know we come from a, a history of specifically of marijuana legalization activism, but of course that kind of branches out and grows into broader drug law reform and then even further into kind of just general libertarianism and general uh that's not the government's role this isn't the government's role um and so a lot of the activism that we were involved in especially right around uh 2010 2011 2012 uh that was a big talking point in the uh weed legalization circles was that the drug war is the new jim crow and in fact uh, Michelle Alexander had a book that came out in 2010, The New Jim Crow. And so mm-hmm. I think that was a big part of it. The big, uh, you know, she reignited that fire of that talking point. But, you know, as far back as 2001, um, this lawyer, Graham Boyd, wrote that the drug war is the new Jim Crow um, in a report. Uh, it was the, um, let me see, I have it somewhere here. The North American Congress on Latin America. Uh, so it was just kind of in this buried publication, this obscure publication. But back then, that was when Ashcroft wanted to re-ramp up the war on drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they had 9-11, and so they kind of took it a different route. They went the war on terror instead. But, you know, they were going to pull out the whole playbook and just re-ramp it again. And I was really interested to get your take on, you know, how drug laws and, uh, and especially enforcement of drug laws, uh, are they the new Jim Crow, in your opinion? Well, we have to talk about the 13th Amendment, and when you lose, you know, when you become part of the criminal justice system, you lose your rights. Yeah. I mean, it says it right in there that basically you are a slave yep. to, to the state or the federal government, depending on if you're locked in, in state state penitentiaries or federal penitentiary. But I always like to tell people that weed is the gateway drug, but not the gateway to other drugs, but the gateway to the criminal justice system. Yeah, because you can easily, and this is why I said my life could easily <laughs> went a different way or people, you know, like me could easily went a different way just off of one uh, one pullover and I smell weed in the car. Yep. And let me explain just how those steps happen because I'm sure people are like, well, me, weed, minor charge, you know, no, no issue kind of thing. Right. Okay. Right. No. You get pulled over, cop says, oh, I smell weed in the car, legitly, or they, that's a common gateway to get you, you know, engaged yep. in the criminal justice song and dance. We smell weed. Okay, they find weed. They give you a charge. Um, it's not like it is now where they just write you a ticket and you keep going. No, they would give you a charge. Right. You would get probation. You know, uh, if it's small enough, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. But the probation is the foot on the banana peel. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're already smoking <laughs> and you have to piss clean, yep. now you have two problems, right? You know, you're a smoker and you have to piss clean. Excuse my language. Uh, you have to pee clean. And if you don't pee clean, here you go. It, the, it, your issues get escalated. To the point where they might violate you. And now here you are, a simple, nonviolent, weed-smoking citizen, uh, and you're put into jail. Right. Well, uh, 
Go ahead. And I think like uh, what a lot of people outside of just the world of drugs in general or illicit drugs, I should say, in general, don't understand about the the weed laws and the, the why they target marijuana specifically, why they went for that. It's sort of the, like you're saying, it is the gateway, but not in the way that they've sold it. It mm-hmm. is very easy to smell. It is very easy to, you know, kind of see it going on. It also is the easiest thing to detect. A lot of more harmful drugs like cocaine, like heroin, like methamphetamine, they'll all go out of your system. So you can piss clean in, you know, 24 to 48 hours within, uh, you know, being messed up on one of those drugs. Whereas weed can stay a month or longer into your system being fat soluble, the THC um, will bind to your fat molecules and stay in your system for way longer. So it's easy to bust people for having it in their system. It's easy to bust people for smoking it. And you're exactly right that it's that first toe in the door. Now they've got you in their system. Now you have maybe a conviction or a record of some sort. Now you're on some sort of a probation or parole and everything that you do is scrutinized times 10 or times a hundred. And and they test you for the drug that you got caught with. So it's now it's if you're a rec- recreational smoker, maybe on the weekends, maybe you're just coming from a party. Right. And then you go to another party and like people are like, hey, hit, hit the blunt, hit the joint, whatever. And you have a moment of weakness. You smoke again. And then, like I said, you violate it. And then here we go. And then the crazy thing is now you come out. You can't find work because you you have a criminal record, and it's 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 not funny, but it's just humorous how planned this is. It had right. it, if if not, it has to be the luckiest you know thing to be stumbled upon. But I think it's definitely planned because now when you come out, it's like, well, now I got to sell a little weed. I mean, I know all these people, yep. and you don't. But I mean, that's the when you have restitution and all these things you have to pay back. Right. There's and a, you, there's a lot right. of pressure that way. And so it's not like you have to do these things or you're trapped into this, but it's it's the path of least resistance. And so on a right. on a larger right. scale, it's where most people will go. And without those barriers or without that pressure, maybe more people wouldn't have such high recidivism. Maybe, you know, people could actually get a job and learn from a mistake and and find rehabilitation. Uh, but because of those social pressures, because you have to check the box if you had a conviction, because your employer will, uh, you know, you're not going to get hired if if you have to drop and you uh, drop dirty. All mm. of these things uh, kind of push it in that direction where you're right. People are just like, you know what, it's going to be way easier if, if I just sell some weed and then I can keep smoking and then I won't have to piss test. And then, you know, and uh, the illicit market and the nature of prohibition makes it incredibly lucrative to take that chance, even though, uh, you know, you're going to get hit with the hammer eventually. And, and then when you're selling weed, I, mean, I, I haven't sold weed, but when you're around it, it's, you're not really selling it. It's like you might know five or six people that smoke, <laughs> and right. you're basically, you know, the person that they know is kind of like a friend situation. Like, hey, you know anybody? Oh, yeah, I know somebody, and that kind of thing. Right. Um, but the difference is where the economics come into it in two ways. One, when you have a group of people that already don't have a lot of money, 
you don't have the money to go to trial with a higher lawyer yeah. that can get your record expunged and not get you on probation. So this one little hiccup won't set you back. When you go in there, you get on the probation and you're done. And we all saw Shawshank Redemption and understand that prisons are a moneymaker. Yep. And you need to have a steady workforce. And what better way than to criminalize something as nonviolent as smoking weed? Uh, weed really lessens the chance of things happening, fights, those kind of things, the kind of violent acts that come along with, you know, um, typical drugs. You know, people like they smoke, let's hit the joint and chill out. Let's not even go out tonight. You yeah. know, let's just. And, you know, let's just order a pizza and play some Madden and, you know, smoke, that kind of thing. Yep. So it's amazing how they just built this whole structure around it. But then what amazes me more is the complete 180. Um, that it used to be like the devil's weed. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, weed is cool. And you see CBD oh, yeah. shops pop up everywhere. They and, got grannies uh, <laughs> smoking weed segments on uh, high times and stuff. It's like... Yeah, and it's like, hold on, and and the funniest thing, and not funny, I say funny in the sense, not humorous, but funny in how it goes down. Overnight, people are getting rich, but other people are still locked up. It's like, don't you think you should let everybody out? Yeah. yeah. You know, that was in for weed charges? And I know some states are, but it's that kind of thing. But I also, um... I got to be careful with how I talk about weed because weed could be a huge distraction if you don't have the time uh, and money to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the flip side of the coin of it's a luxury. And it's some luxuries that people can't enjoy because if you don't have a job or don't, you know what I'm saying, don't you have other priorities, Right. you shouldn't put weed before it, but. I don't know how far you want to get into this well, weed conversation. I, so yeah. I love that you bring that up too, because I think, um, you know, we we started this directly out of an activist movement um, um, place. You know, that's what, and the first iteration of Bull After Bull was 2014 and 2015. And we were working to get uh, Missouri legalized for medical use, and then we kind of got really burnt on the. Um, sort of inside of the grassroots part of activism. And it's just exactly how you're saying how, you know, they didn't legalize pot uh, because they came to Jesus or because, you know, they saw the light. Uh, they legalized pot because they saw the way the wind was blowing and they're like, you know what? We're going to, the there's going to start being a drop off in the profit margin, pushing it this way. We can swing it over this way, have all the control on the, on the legal market, and mm-hmm. then things can just go merrily along. We'll just kind of change how we're going to talk about it and how we're going to present our attitudes towards pot. And, and you're totally right about, you know, weed is like, you know, we, we play all the weed culture clips and we're very into, uh, the weed culture and we understand what these things mean. But I, I, there is always this little voice in the back of my mind, like just wondering, you know, how many people are turned off of the show because of its, you know, weed centric thing, which, which we just own. We, we're not like embarrassed or ashamed of it, but we also aren't like, uh, it's not all weed all the time. You know, it's not, uh, even though it's our core topic and, and it, 
it's it's a foundation for a lot of other issues and mm-hmm. it was sort of my my journey through normal and uh eventually being president of a campus chapter and then being president of a city chapter um that led me to realize how many other issues sprout out from this drug war issue and really how it kind of all comes back to liberty and individual freedom and personal responsibility because i've seen people who took the weed thing too far i've had people i've had several friends who've been killed over the weed trade itself mm-hmm. i've seen friends who did go to other drugs um i've seen friends locked up for too long criminal record i've seen a lot of damage done and you know we can have the argument about is it weed's fault or not? I don't really think so. But I can understand that sort of association that people might have. And people are like, oh, you, you're just the stoner kids. You know, you're not really serious. You know, it's something that's like easy to brush off or dismiss. And well, uh, first of all, I'd like to say nobody should be in jail ever for weed. Unless you sold somebody some stuff that's tainted and it's killing people. Yeah. Other than that, no, but nobody. Should go to jail for weed. Now, should you be taxed? Should you be? We could talk about, you know, stiff penalties. Sure. That don't involve incarceration. But at the same time, I don't think we should be uh, a profit, uh, something that could be profited off of either. Right. Well, and, and I, I know I'm a ruffle of a lot of feathers there, but there's, See, this is the thing where we have to, we can't be binary. And it's something that I talk about on the show as well. Sure. When, when people are binary, it's like, oh, well, let's lock them up. And then on the other side, it's like, oh, make it a free fall. Well, right. you know, there's some middle ground there. There's, okay, we could have co-ops where people grow it and they exchange with each other. You know, that way it's not be creating a profit um, opportunity because, you know, when profits come in, quality goes down <laughs> right well, to, to increase profit margin right you it's know out uh, with the old cartel and with the new cartel cor- correct so there's there's a balance there um i have i guess i don't know how far you want to go into this but i have to give people the perspective of weed because of my age i'm just just turned 41 so i went and happy belated in, birthday by the way thank you i grew up in dare where all drugs were drugs, right? And that's right. The kind of thing. Like you don't touch any drugs. And then here comes uh, uh, Dr. Dre with the Chronic. Yep. And that was like the real first time in rap where we was like it created that culture around it in yeah. rap. Uh, I mean, of course, you heard people talk about smoking weed and that kind. Of, but it was kind of like at one time we was like it makes you dumb, makes you slow, right. that kind of thing that was in the music. But this was the first time where it was weed centric. Oh, I mean, it was. It's so prevalent. We we have you know smoke weed every day. Exactly, and cry. It was called the Chronic. I mean, you have um, Dr. Dre with a. I think the two thousand Chronic two thousand, where he has like this neon green bag of weed, and it's like, what is he smoking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, but fast forward, we have to understand like weed and the, and the progression of the uh, potency, which I think nobody talks about. Um, when we were smoking weed in high school, it was like twenty five dollars for a quarter ounce. Yep. Of of some what they call swag or that hard brick uh, pack stuff Reggie. from Mexico. Yeah, well, it was it was decent. I mean, it wasn't that you know it wasn't that brick pack. You know, 
that you, you had to hydrate the smoke. See, I mean, that's like, what we had in, uh, in high school. No, no, you can find that, but I mean, it was it was eh, it was decent. Okay, and, but it was still. I mean, you smoke a joint, you get you're saying get a little buzz, and you be chilling. And then I remember maybe 2001, Arizona came in, mm. right? And and this is I went to uh, I went to college, and up under me was uh, some frat boys. And they were the plug, and they had Con Bud. It's like, what the hell are they mm-hmm. smoking, right? And that kind of thing, because we're over here, we think we're doing it big with some Arizona, which that was like it started selling for ten a blunt, and it was a stronger product, right? But Con Bud is what everybody has now, what they call loud, right? And that yep. was what they call rapper or the hydro that, or the right, yeah. So you had all of this, but what happened was the potency was constantly increasing. From maybe six to 10, 15, up to 25% THC. Yep. But the quantity being smoked wasn't changing. Mm. You yeah, see what I'm saying? So it was that's like. That's an interesting uh, observation, too, because, you know, we've talked about potency as well. And um, I've, I've heard the argument a lot that a lot of people, and um, I'm in agreement when, uh, when we have the. Uh, Sorry, the chat's saying the stream drop, but it's still going from my end, so just so everybody knows. Okay. Um, anyway, but when we have an increase in potency, I always... They're they trying to shut us down. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Right when you talk about the potency, man. Right. <laughs> Big Weed wants to say, shush, shush, shush. Right. But no, that's what... I prefer a lot of time if I can get some nice, potent, um, good quality bud... And then I have a little dugout with just a baddie and I'm taking just the tiniest little puffs, you know, because you don't need as much. But when you're in a culture of rolling joints or rolling big blunts that just get passed around and you keep passing them around, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Like a joint's going to hold a gram every time you roll it, whether you roll it out of the Reggie or whether you roll it out of the the Hydro, it's going to be, you know. So let me give you an have, analogy. That's like you come home and you drink a beer right you know a, tw- yep. a couple 12 ounces yeah now take that 12 ounce beer pour it out and fill it up with vodka yep and you come in and drink that same well like, i'm only drinking two cans but it's it's vodka though bro it ain't beer no more right you know that kind of thing and then you pour that out and then you start putting like 151 proof bacardi in there it's like okay now we have a problem but nobody's saying anything because it's mm-hmm we're only smoking. We you know we're smoking a blunt. You know well, we're smoking a couple of blunts. It's but it's like no, you're taking in way more. And I think this caused a real problem. I agree, uh, and because I've seen this change. One, the old heads wouldn't smoke with you. Like, I'm not smoking none of that, right? So they yep, would, yep. they would, they would stick to their you know uh, regular weed, what they're comfortable uh, with and used to. Yeah, right. Because they knew. But when you come in and you see you know your peers smoking a blunt or two blunts. And that's what they've been smoking all their life. It's just that the weed changed. But I started seeing uh, this change, and I used to call them gram chasers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they weren't even getting grams. They were getting like 0.7 grams. And they were just like $20, $20 a blunt, $20 a blunt, $20 a blunt. You know, And they were. Ch- it was like it reminded me of crackheads, to be honest with you. Because as soon as they got $20, they're calling their man like, hey, let me let me get a gram. Let me get I and mean, they wasn't even getting a gram. They were getting a point seven. Like, let me get a gram. Um wow. and I was like, wow, like I'm seeing a change. The white the weed culture is different. Like I said, we were yeah, sitting you'd around expect smoke that weed. For like crack or something, you know? Right. And it's yeah. like, and some people call it green crack, 
which you got weed out here now that's like 25, 30%. So you're talking about going from 6 to 10% to 25 to 30%? And you're smoking, and, and, and to be honest with you, they're smoking bigger blunts today in these backwoods and all these other things than, you know, we ever were when White Owls and Phillies and those kind of things, right? So I, I, I really want to examine, you know, the, the, the potency because sure. even with wine, wine has limits. Beer has limits by the state, right? They say you can't make a beer over with like six and a half percent. Depending on the state, it goes from like six and a half to seven percent. Um, but when you go to buy a weed, you can get anywhere from twenty to thirty-five percent. That's a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. that's a huge difference. So well, I just I, wanted to point that out. I think two things that happen kind of parallel to what you're talking about in the in the weed culture. When I was in college, is kind of when it started off, like. Uh, the the Obama era, um, first dabs came in. Oh yeah, with yeah. concentrates, where you're just dropping just a drop uh, of this oil that's just so heavily concentrated. Crack. 80, 90 it's crack. Call it what it is. Crack. Yeah, you're you're free basing weed is what you're doing. <laughs> it's crack. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but it's crack because what is crack is coca leaf condensed down. Right. It's just super powder. concentrated. Yeah, just the same it's, deal. Yeah. And uh, also the edibles. and Oh, yeah, that's the other one, yeah. Um, the wild thing about edibles, and um, I've just even had, you know, friends of mine who live out in Colorado, like this one buddy in particular. I was out in Colorado just um, on a trip out there. Uh, Lauren and I used to go out there a lot to the Gem and Mineral show uh, every September because we, we like gemstones and uh, collecting rocks and stuff. And my buddy's out there. I haven't seen him in a few years. And he's like, oh, yeah, we should kick it. Uh, you know, you could come over tonight, blah, blah, blah. It was like a free day I had on our trip. And so I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I got these edibles. It's going to be great. Um, and I was like, all right. Well, he's texting me throughout the day. And then he's like, man, we can't we can't hang out. We can't hang out. He got too faded off of these edibles. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I was like, well, how many did you eat? You know, because these edibles you eat like a half of one and usually are pretty zonked. And he was basically saying he had like 250 milligrams of, of weed, uh, edibles and like an edible dose, 10 milligrams is like an active dose, you know? Okay. Creep. So he's taking like 25, 25 doses of edibles just by eating a, you know, uh, a handful of gummies or sometimes they make a big gummy. And it's like, uh, on the one hand, I'm disappointed in my buddy because it's like, dude, with a with a quick arrowage search, you can say you can easily find out what the active dose is and what you're working off. But at the same time, these guys are selling packages of 250 milligrams in something that you can put in your that something that fits in your mouth that you can swallow in in one you know you can pop 250 milligrams in your mouth and chew it up and swallow it. Right and, out of the and edibles itself is a problem because when you get to eating <laughs> or you get high, you're going right. to have, have munchies and it's like, well, oh, well, let me try another one. And then the, the time delay. There's a, all, I've never tried edibles, but I've always told the time delay is what really gets you. Because it does. That is a big factor. One, it's like the laxative effect, right? So yep. <laughs> you're like, you're like, like oh, it's not working. Let me Nothing's take another happening. one. Yep. Like, yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Now you're in Walmart with a problem. My dad got got on... Uh, <laughs> That one time because we made snickerdoodles, right? <laughs> and we had mm -hmm. them at the house. And uh, 
I thought I'd put him somewhere safe, you know, but he found the snickerdoodles and he like had eaten a couple. And I was like, dad, you got to stop. Those are like special snickerdoodles. You know what I mean? And I was like trying to say it without saying it because other people were there too. And he didn't really understand what I was saying or I don't know, like, I don't know if he didn't like get it or just didn't care, but he like looked me in the eye and popped another one in his mouth, Mm -hmm. you know, by the end, I think he had eaten like three or four of these things. He and then when it milk. finally came in, man, when it finally kicked in, he's like, dude, is this ever going to stop? <laughs> and I'm and, like, it will, but damn, dude, not till tomorrow, you know? Like, And that's the suckiest part right there is, you know, um, the quantity, the gauging of the quantity, um, the potency, all of these things play into it. And I, I knew something, like I said, I'm, I'm not a boomer at all uh, as far as, you know, Whatever you're into, if you like to drink, drink, drink wine. If you like to smoke, smoke, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. But cheeseburgers, well, cigars. Yeah, tre- and the way, you know, that's the other thing, the hip- hip- hypocrisy of some people saying, oh, you shouldn't do this, but they do unhealthy acts. So yeah. it's like, come on. Um, no, live and let live uh, as long as you're not bothering anybody. But what got me was the smell. Uh, I, once again, I was living in an apartment and the guys under me were younger than me and they smoked. And yep. I was like, now I see what the old folks used to be like. Wow, that stinks. Because, man, loud. I mean, that's why they call it loud. Oh, yeah. Because of the smell. The moment you like, unzip the backpack, it's like nobody's even lit it up yet. And it's like stinking up the whole apartment sometimes, you know. And this goes back to the gateway drug. You know, if you are riding around with just a, a couple of grams, yep. you're, you're sitting target for cops, you know, to say they smelt weed. I mean, just right, rightfully so, uh, to say they smelt weed. And it's like, is that was that by design? Can we get some weed without scent? I mean, like... We, uh, right. Can we use Chris? Can we use CRISPR for something productive here and take the, <laughs> and take the smell component out of weed? I mean, come on, delete the smell uh, gene. Right. So, I mean, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's crazy, but I, I'm more worried about the psychological effects that it has on people in poverty because the main reason why you smoke when you're poor, and I noticed because I when I was in college. You have nothing else to do. It's like right. it's the cheapest entertainment. That, um, it's cheaper than going out to the bars. It's cheaper than buying a something from the, you know, the packy, and it lasts longer than all of that too. You know, and, and it makes time the, speed up. There's the social or slow aspect down. too. Yeah. Well, I, one one crazy thing I've noticed about weed, and uh, I don't know if we've even discussed this on the show, but it, weed for me, ever since I started smoking weed, it seems to do what you need it to, you know? It seems to be sort of like a, like you're saying, it can speed time up or it can slow time down. It can make you sleepy or it can make you less sleepy. It can make you hungry or it can, like, make you less hungry. It can, it, it it's kind of like a, I don't know exactly how to describe that, you know, but it's like, mm-hmm. it, it does what you think it's going to do. And I've even noticed with, with a lot of people who are like, oh, I can't smoke weed, it makes me paranoid. Um... A lot of, sometimes that can even be a decision. Like you, you've decided weed is going to make you paranoid, and so of course when you smoke it, that's exactly what happens. Or you get in that loop. You get in that 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 newbie that newbie loop where you smoke for the first couple of times. You think you're going to die. Uh huh. And you just laying there like, please, and you're making all kind of deals. It's like if I if just get on the other side of this, I promise <laughs> I'll never smoke again. 
I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I mean, just I'm, I'm never, I'm, ever, I'm, ever going to smoke weed again. I, I've been there, like I said, in, in high school. And it's, um, but, and that's the other thing is age. I think that we need yep. to be very cautious about age because there are some effects on the brain that comes along with uh, weed at an early age. So like I said, it's, it's, we need to have a mature conversation about this and not just have it a free fall. I agree, yeah. And that might be something that gets lost a lot uh, when we talk about some of these issues is the the personal freedom also comes with personal responsibility and then the responsibility goes both ways so there you know you as a smoker have a responsibility to uh you know keep it under control and you know make sure that it's a enhancing or at least a leisure and it's not spilling over into something that's making your life or anybody else's life worse Mm -hmm. and then as manufacturers and as uh you know dispensaries and all of that stuff rolls out They've got a responsibility to educate people about what they're buying and what they're smoking and how much it is and how potent it is. And I mean, the the edibles thing, it especially gets uh, kind of dicey when you have a big bag of gummy bears or a big bag of gummy worms. You know, it's <laughs> right. like I mean, everything uh, looks like I hate candy. To, I hate to be like the think of the children, you know, because it's overplayed. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, can we also grow up as stoners? <laughs> like. And then the other thing is be conscientious of non-smokers. The smell yeah. is offensive. I mean, let me, if we're going to be honest, the smell is offensive to people. Um, we, we've had several people ask us uh, over, over the show's time about uh, and mention that, you know, like, how do you even stand the smell? And I guess it's just one of those things. I mean, there's like uh, in the cheese world, there's certain smells that are good to some people and really bad to others. You know, there's in the fruit world. They're like they have some yep. fruit that smells like rotting meat. So, I mean, we know it's offensive to non-smokers specifically. Yeah. So just be conscientious because I'm I'm going to tell you this: the smell is going to be the number one reason if it ever gets uh, criminalized again, or at least uh, made what's the word uh, an offense? Maybe not criminal, but some kind of nuisance law. It's going to be the smell. Yeah, it's going to be the smell because that's the one thing that. Non-smokers can't. It's just like with cigarettes. I can't. A, a, a Newport makes me gag. Mm-hmm. Um, being around it, people find j- pleasure in it. Uh, cigars is another one. That kind of thing. So, um, but I think when people go on vacation, uh, I've had reports come back from Vegas, and they were like, "Man, I could everywhere you went, it's like weed in Vegas." Wow. And it's like, well, you're taking away from people's experience. They don't. Want, they don't want to smell weed all the time. Right. Um. And like I said, I, and I'm no, I mean, I'm not against weed at all. I, actually, I'm for the legalization of it in the sense of it should be free to use if you're an adult. But at the same time, come on, let's be let's be smart about it. Right. Well, I mean, everything that we do or we're allowed to do, um, biggest example, driving a car, like it all comes with responsibility checks, you know, like. Just because you're allowed to do one thing, it doesn't mean you're allowed to take that one thing to some kind of extreme that is going to encroach on other people's freedom or safety or, you know, whatever they've got going on, their life, their liberty, their pursuit of happiness. So there, there's checks and balances and we, as you know, I'm, I'm for radical freedom, but that, Mm -hmm. that has to take into account all of the other people's freedoms as well, you know? 
Yeah, because it impacts other people's experience, right. right? I mean, if you're in a restaurant, you just can't pull out a uh, cigarette and light it up. Yeah. Uh, even if it was take the health health component away from it, just the smell. You know, some people don't want to smell mm-hmm. that, so they're entitled to their airspace, right? Um, yeah. Absolutely. So I would say I would be say be careful of that. But since you're the expert, I have this question because there's this running conversation between me and my friends. Do you think that we will be uh, put into HOAs and those kind of things where mm. it, it'll technically be legal? But like, I mean, uh, oil change is legal, but I can't do one out in front of my house. Right. You know well, of, because of HOA. So do you think that's the way it's going to, you know what I'm saying, uh, end up being you know, basically policed in a new way? I've never really considered that angle of it, but I think y'all are ahead of a curve because I'm surprised. Now that you actually say it out loud, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet or that we haven't heard about that kind of thing yet. Um, and, you know, Lorian can attest to this. A lot of the laws as they pass allow for local control and allow for sort of not in my backyard local legislation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of laws that have been passed that say where you can home grow and grow your own, but it has to be inside. It has to be locked away from public view. Um, I can't think of anywhere where you can grow outside unless you're licensed, a licensed cultivator. Mm. I could maybe see a future where an HOA tries to basically ban home grow within their HOA, and then maybe you have a fight between... Um, the homeowner in the HOA that escalates from the city to the, maybe the county or state level until, you know, it's handed down or clarified. Like, for instance, in Missouri, uh, there's a medical, it's medically legal. So we have medical mm-hmm. weed and we're working on recreational. Um, but the medical aspect includes home grow for up to six plants. And so that's a constitutional amendment that was passed. So basically... All of the stuff related to our medical program is in the state constitution, and so it's harder for an HOA, say, to um, meddle with that. Um, but the smell, though, I'm, I'm going back to the smell of the smoking it. Right. Uh, the reason why I say this is uh, there's apartment complexes popping up, and you know that say you can't smoke on our premises, N- anything. Right. So I, the, I would not be surprised if it uh, becomes an issue. I haven't heard of it yet, but as, like I said, <laughs> as soon as as soon as you give me the uh, idea in my head, I'm surprised that yeah. we haven't heard of something like that. You makes know? nothing but sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that and that's, that way you can police it again, right? I, yeah. that's the HOA. Just let me say just a quick tangent on HOA. That's the real policing force. Oh now. yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, tyranny's trump card is the HOA, man. Yeah, because. I got told for I mean at my old place for double parking it was raining and I didn't see I was over the line, but I'm like hold on if a cop came by and saw me double park he would give me a ticket, but you have a tow truck to ride through here and it's a two hundred dollar fee to get my car out of tow. How can the damn HOA have stronger penalties than than the actual uh, police department? Yeah, that's so, crazy. So be careful of those HOAs, man. I, I really oh, think man, that in the apartment complexes they say no smoking, period. And that would basically put people in weed ghettos. Thank God there's no HOAs in the hood, at least around here, man. Well, not yet. But <laughs> not yet. Justification, yeah, yeah, no <laughs> they, they come up the territory. Well, we do have a number of voicemails, uh, so we're going to kick one off. Uh, some questions for you, Mo. All right, cool. 
Maybe. Let me make sure that... Uh, oh, here we go. Question, actually. You want to start yeah, out to the back. It. Sorry about that. Bl blame the Mo too. In the bowl, I got a question for Mr. Mo Fax. It's a two-part question, actually. Uh, one, I know you aren't... You don't self-identify as a card-carrying member of ADOS, but in today's current era, meaning people that are still alive... In within the umbrella of Ados, who would you consider uh, a hero or like someone that you really look up to in that uh, community? And then uh, the other question is: uh, since we had our talk, um, what did what and any water filters have you been using to get the fluoride out of your water? All right, in the bowl. This is Sir Seat Sitter. In the bowl, Sir Seat Sitter. So one, I have well water, so I don't know if there's fluoride in there. I doubt it is. Probably not. Uh, there's, yeah. There's other things you could uh, have in well water, but fluoride is not one of my concerns. Uh, I'll answer that one first, and then he asked about um, a Dostet who I looked up to, and this is going to sound like total fluff, but this is a guy honest true. The person I looked up growing, the person I looked up to growing up, and still now is my father. I mean, ser I mean, like seriously, um, um, huge hero of mine, and and I and now I see that it's he was even more important now than then. That when you could pick up a phone and call somebody and say, "Hey, what you're going through," and they can you can talk to them and they share genetics with you, <laughs> so they understand part of your makeup. Yeah, uh, that that's personally. Um, of course, you got Malcolm X. Uh, and and I say that my father because this is the thing I want to reestablish is fathers. Um, we need to have kids looking up to their fathers, um, and we need to have fathers active in their kids' lives. So that that would be my answer to that first and second question. Yeah, that's a that's a great observation, and I, I really love that aspect of um, your show. By the way, the 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 fatherhood and the uh, male role model aspect. I actually had that uh, down in my notes about male mo male role models, where do we turn? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and, and maybe I shouldn't even be asking this kind of thing, but um, with, with my, with my own dad, you know, I've been um, in the, in this place where my dad is like unconditionally loved me forever. Mm -hmm. And he's the sweetest dude. Um, but also, um, over the last 10, 12 years or whatever, uh, through no agenda, through a lot of other, uh, research, through a lot of other sources, we go down these rabbit holes. We discover these, um, I don't know, you, conspiracy is the easiest way to say it, you know, mm -hmm. um, these powers that be these, uh, mechanisms of control over us. And it's, it's so weird because I feel like. I've tried to be an example of how to get out of that for him. And it's just hard for me to call him up and say what I'm going through in this sense of, you know, the decisions that I make, he doesn't understand. And like, he doesn't understand why I'm not at this 40 hour a week, single career thing, like trodden away, like doing what he did, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's just this gap of understanding that I just don't even know where to start to make headway in of like, you know, well, 
you know, it's like we were hanging out last night and he's talking about how, you know, he misses the Bush days and, you know, how they just kind of were like the guys you'd want to have a beer with and really cared about the country. And I'm just kind of like, you know, they're all part of this same, you know, knowing what we know, they're all part of the same machine with the Clintons, with Obama, with whoever, you know, runs this whole mechanism. It's just tough to even, well, I feel like there's no point in even pushing back or going wherever, you know? But there's there's something there with the Bushes. And what and we can't overlook it that you had the patriarchal passing of the torch. Sure. From George Hubert Walker Bush down to George W. Bush. And that that was like the last time that we had the patriarchy leading. And then they kind of had to tuck their tail after that point. Right. Uh, so and and I think this is by design through technology. They want to speed things up so fast that our kids don't look up to us, right? That yeah. we're dumb boomers. We see this. I mean, if you just go watch Disney shows, yeah, the dad is the dumbest person on the show for sure, by far. Mom's close second, and then there's always a cool adult that kind of panders to the kids and they're the cool adult but then the kids are in control yeah that's kind of the place i've been stuck between is like i'm trying to figure out you know when my dad says stuff like this and i just kind of it's like i don't really have a a laid out thought process of like you know oh well it took me 12 years to even start to kind of uncover all of these webs that are connected and i still don't have a really good you know way to explain it all because it just takes by design it's so complicated you know mm-hmm. um but it all you know it all's connected and together um and it's doing a very good job you know um but I, I always wonder if like that reaction when my dad says stuff like that is me falling for the you know sigh out me falling for the trick of like oh yeah it's not even worth discussing is it and, and that's where we, I'll, I'll bring it back Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of things my dad doesn't understand about this time. But the foundation that we had of me looking up to him growing up. Because um, he reminds you, like, you know you know that shirt you got on? That's me. You know that roof you got overhead? That's me. Mm. You know, that kind, not in a a-hole kind of way, but it's like, wow, everything I get, I get from my dad. You know, and that kind of thing. So, but when technology really kicked off, the aging process is like, wow, like you really don't know what's going on, do you? Uh, mm. and, and it's an arrogance until your kids do it to you. Yeah. I mean, and they that's do it not at a far young, off, man. That's and, not and far off. And they do it off. at a way, they do it at a way faster age because things are moving so fast. Um, I still don't know how to Instagram. Like I'm looking for the retweet. Like mm-hmm. where's where where's the retweet at on this thing? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> the Instagram. So, oh God. And, and I grew up in this era, mm-hmm. right? But this is how fast things are moving. Um, and that's that's kind of how they discredit parents to kids, and it's built it's built into the whole entertainment system. It's built into the monetary system where kids nowadays can make more money than their parents. Yeah, it's like you were saying about how you don't have to work a forty-hour week job anymore. Right. To- yeah. There's just it's a different situation now where you have you know you can spread yourself out and have a concentrated you know 
I have a real estate license and there's the show and there's the, you know, there's so many other different things you can work from home and have flexible hours with and have kind of a feast and famine period that you're good at balancing. Um, but because there's nothing steady, like the generations above that just don't really have a concept of like, oh, but what are you going to do next week? And, and <laughs> we're like, well, I don't know, but you know. <laughs> it's the guarantee of a next check. I'm going to eat for sure, you know, but, and my kids but, are going to eat for sure. But what they don't understand is like, how how you not going to want another check? Right. I mean, like guaranteed yeah. in the bank. Or, like, you I mean, know, like, you got you no know, pension. What do you, you know? Yeah. As though that's like an option that we can go out and find a pension now, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just. So, and, uh, and, and it's arrested development is another part of it as well that the kids. I remember when kids, they would start saying, oh, kids, quote unquote, kids, 27 and under could be on their parents insurance. I'm like, what? Like 27 at 18, you were off your parents. Yeah, I mean, 21, right. maybe if you went to college, I, they yeah. would let you stay on there. But like at 18, you were off of it. And you didn't have insurance. Uh, like, yeah. We didn't have insurance from 18 to maybe 25 when you got a, a decent job. I rolled, you know, and got I, benefits. I rolled on mine until the day I turned 27. It was crazy. But yeah, I just didn't, you know, even while I was like the, I think one of the first people of the generation to get off of it because they kept kicking it up as the birthday would come. They'd kick it up two more years for me, you know. So I stayed on that thing. I think it was like 22 when it started, and then it went up to 24, 26, and then mm-hmm. they stopped kicking it up. But And my dad, he had the 1890 plan, and that was 90 days after you turn 18 or graduate from high school, you had to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. And of course you could come back, right? right. <laughs> but it was that you had to go out and fail, sure. and then you could come back and, you know... Get get a ninety day reprieve. Get on your feet again, and then you're back out there again. Yeah. And he was he started telling us it this at like ten. Uh, I remember because yeah, it had to be. T- I mean, I, it was earlier than ten. But with my oldest brother, he was eight years older than me. He went out to college, goofed off, flunked out, came home, mm-hmm. worked all summer. Now we were we're all workers, but he didn't save any of his money. My dad's like, so what are you gonna do? And he was like, what do you mean what I'm going to do? He's like, your 90 days are up. Like, you got to find <laughs> somewhere to go. And it's like, well, it's like I could take you down to the recruiters. And he went down and joined the Army. Wow. And, and seeing that as the youngest brother, I was like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I better start getting my ducks no in a row uh, yeah. here early. But that's the generation before us at 18. Man, they were like having kids and buying homes at like 21. Uh, you that's- know, so it's. This is the rest. This is continuous arrested development. That's what really sucks, man. Yeah. The you know when the reason that you were an adult in eighteen is because you were an adult at eighteen. You were doing now. They call it like my generation whines about adulting as a verb, and it's, like it's like it's something that that's killing them. What's the commercial now? Oh, it's I have the... to adult. Like what the fuck are you taught? You are an adult. Like you wake up and go to sleep adulting. What is this thing that ugh. Because they one it it was it got out of popularity to kick your kids out. That was one thing, and two, and I'm not saying kick them out on the street, but like um, it, it's this story, and I I don't know if it's true or not, but it's this is how it's told, and it's like when an eagle builds its nest, it builds it with thorns in the bottom of the nest. So as the as the chicklets get heavier and heavier and heavier, whoa, the thorns are motivation for them to get up on the edge of the nest. 
And then you're looking back, like, I can't go back there because it's thorny. <laughs> Damn. Uh, so I'm going to have to take a leap of faith here. And that's kind of how they get them out the nest. And that's kind of how it was with my parents. It was like, hey, turn that music down. Put some headphones on. No, kitchen's closed at 9 p.m. That kind of thing. It's like, kitchen's <laughs> closed at 9 p.m. Right. Uh, lock the screen door at, you know, midnight. So if you're not back here by midnight, you, you're saying you sleep in the car outside. And it was just these little nudges to, you know, to make me adult, I guess, uh, if you want to put it in the verb. But yeah. <laughs> it's even got to the point now it's a, it's a um, commercial or ad. It's a running thing of becoming your parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an honor to become your parents. I mean, now it's looked at as like a bad thing. No, uh-uh. Growing up is is a beautiful thing. Yeah, no doubt. Um. You want to hit it with? Uh, we have another voicemail on the line. Okay. In the bowl, bowlerinos. I just want to say, super proud of y'all. Major power move. I love it. Oh. I think you're doing the universe's work. So good on y'all. Super excited to hear what uh, is to come of this episode. I'm calling a day early because I got to work tomorrow. Uh, Mo, I just wanted to say, I think you're just consistently re- releasing stellar episodes. I was living in Virginia, in North Carolina, back when that Duke controversy was breaking, and it was something I hadn't thought about for years, but when you brought it up, I started to remember just how much we would hear about it on the radio, driving to and from my dad's work at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I think you, I think you definitely hit it right on the head of the nail when you're talking about it's the the college institutions driving a lot of these schemes. I mean, if I had my bell right now, I think I would ding it. I don't know where it is at the moment. Gotcha. I was curious, Mo, uh, were you familiar, or are you familiar, I should say, with the new order of barbarians? It was a recollection of a speech given by a Columbia University doctor Back in the 1960s, if you're not familiar with it, I would recommend checking it out because they got some really spooky schemes that uh, they're talking about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, check it out. It's a little, it's a little hard in the paint, Catholic for my taste, but uh, I can't deny that there's definitely some inter- interesting information in there. Um, super excited to hear the show. I love you all, and uh, have a good one. Love you, Boomer. That, was, Thank that you. was a new order of the Barbarian? Is that what he said? Yeah. I haven't heard that. I'm going to look into it, but that piques my interest because this this new revisiting of an old book called From Barbarians to Bureaucrats hmm. that I'm seeing pop up different places. Interesting. Um, and that goes to show like how we go from barbarians to bureaucrats in business and society. And basically the uh, aristocrat destroys society and the barbarians and the, you know, uh, I think it's called a synergist note, like the people that really like have a vision for the next thing they take over from the bureaucrats. So I wonder if that's connected. So I, I have to look into that more. Right on. Well, um, yeah, he had mentioned <laughs> power moves and synergy, and uh, you just bring in like a consistent um, 
expanding picture. And we kind of touched on some of those themes at the beginning of the show, how mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's like a, people call it a God thing. Um, it's You could say it's a community thing. It's a universe thing. You could say a lot of names for the same thing you're trying to describe where, you know, f- for me, when I really joined this community um, deeply, it was just a matter of keep showing up and, you know, nothing beyond that it's not like power plays or this or that or moving the earth it's just it's just that matter of showing up and consistency and i think um people will people will see it even further in another depth if they go to your lost tape stuff on youtube because Mm -hmm. um i've caught parts of it a few different times but i was in there the longest this last time when you were doing lost tapes on uh the duke uh situation and just to see like um, the extra heat that's displayed in the lost tapes, but also to see like the or almost the origin stories of like Michelle Malkin and uh, Stephen Miller as a senior in college, and uh, <laughs> right, then and, and seeing what he looked like. Like when I heard that clip of Stephen Miller, and uh, I was like, "Holy shit, that is that's Stephen Miller!" When I heard his voice, you know. And then I, right after the clip, Adam clarified, you know, was that the same Stephen Miller? Mm-hmm. Um, but to see him and with with most of his hair and um, even there was early, I think you were playing early Megyn Kelly. Mm-hmm. It's just wild to look back and connect those dots. And uh, that's the extra work that's just a matter of showing up and giving it. And it's these stories like this that make news people. You know, that I mean, it's people that cropped up off the OJ trial. Yep. And the OJ situation. That's how they got their big break. Um, I mean, look at me, my origin story. If it's no Jesse Smollett. Right, um, yep. So, I mean, it's, it's it, and this is where we're getting at with the alternative media. We're going blow for blow with these people right now. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as I always want to point out that once they lost their magic, and what I mean by their magic, COVID killed their magic because they thought they could shut the machine off the you want to call it the spell machine or whatever and it's those big expensive cameras and lights and perfectly crafted sound stages and they made newscasters stay at home and broadcast from the kitchen oh and you know what their kitchen doesn't look much different than my kitchen yeah so it's like oh these are humans Oh, those they're not gods. They're not prophets. They're not, you know, um, uh, um, fortune tellers or, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it totally ruined their mechanism for mass communication. Yeah. And they're treading water right now. Nobody pays attention to that crap anymore. Right. Um, well, they, I think they fell behind in how to cast that magic from your basement from your kitchen from where you are you know they relied too heavily on that studio space for it to be curated when you know anybody now can cast a pretty great spell and they can cast it in in love rather than in um some power struggle or in control or in you know yeah manipulation and uh, fear pushing and and i, I Thank you. And that's the point I want to clarify when I say spells because people think about big pots with newt eyes and frog legs. Right. No. It's when you concoct a narrative to try to manipulate a person. And the whole definition of witchcraft is just control. And when you try to control people through through narrative, that's the spell. But the problem is they don't have talent 
Don Lemon is not talented. Chris Como is not talented. What's the other guy? Uh, yep. uh, uh, the babyface assassin. Um, I forget his name. Um, oh, Stelter. He's oh. not talented. It, there's <laughs> a bunch water. of people, and it's a bunch of people on both sides. Mm-hmm. Like this late night guy they got on Fox with the canned laughter. These people are not talented. Yeah. You give us a laptop and some kind of casting program and, you know, screen sharing. Yeah. And, and with talent, and we can whoop their butts with right. their high priced sound stages and $10,000 suits and perfectly cut hair. It's like, no, I don't need all that because we have talent. And the reason why I say we have talent is the people choose. The people choose to listen to us. So that yep. let us know they find something in us. They're force fed to us. They're force fed to us in gyms and ho- hotels yep. and airports. Uh, airports. At the gas station, even. The lunchroom at work. Right. I mean, yep. all these different places, they're force fed to us. Here, people actually seek us out. Yeah. And that, that's what lets us know we have talent. And if they were given that kind of, not the same apparatus as the hospital stage lights and whatever but like teams to look and pull facts for us and clips and that kind of thing man it would be no match they're not they're not a match for us he's so good (laughs) (laughs) oh man so good we got more voicemails you want me to play the next one sure sure hey gang this is rick from itty bitty homestead realize we haven't uh, touched base with y'all for a while thought i'd go ahead and give you a call Hanging out here in the forge, you can probably hear it in the background, and uh, been listening to your show from Tuesday night. I'm uh, forging up some split crosses for a customer and a couple for our house. Just wanted to let you all know we're still alive. We're doing all right. We've been under the weather with uh, just seasonal cold, nothing major, but everybody's been kind of crudded up. Wanted to get in and say howdy. Hope you all are doing great. Hope your little ones are doing fantastic. And I hope everybody's ready for Christmas. It's coming up this week. Just wanted to uh, say Merry Christmas to Spencer. Merry Christmas for you. And uh, give your little ones a hug for us. And uh, Charlene and I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Hopefully you have a uh, splistastic New Year. <laughs> and we want to uh, say we love you. We hope you're doing well, and we're still working away. As you can say, I'm still forging, and Charlene's making candles. We're still trying to sell them on our store. We're having a few orders trickle in, and we're hoping for more in the new year. We are prepping a greenhouse. We have the plastic. up. And hopefully we can get some stuff growing soon. Uh, the rabbits are doing well. Jack is getting so big. And the ladies are growing as well. We now have an extra cat. Uh, his name is Caboose. Caboose. Loving little fella. And uh, he's a stray that wandered in to my forge one night. Wouldn't leave, so we adopted him. And uh, all is well. Chickens are still laying eggs, and we're uh, getting ready to expand our expand our lot in the next in the new year. So, anyway, just wanted to call in. You know, we haven't touched base in a while. Wanted to say hi, and uh, we'll see you on the homestead. Awesome! Thanks, Rick. 
<laughs> There's a stick at the end. Nice. Um, I'll have to boost that a little. Sorry if that was hard to hear uh, for the live streamers. Um, yeah, Rick just checking in. The homestead's going well. It's so funny because I like I was falling asleep last night. And yeah. I was like, all of a sudden I was thinking about Rick and Charlene in the homestead. And I was like, we still have to name those rabbits, man. Um, so they they do the itty bitty homestead on uh, No Agenda Tube. And they're just mm -hmm. kind of trying to track. They're out down in Joplin, Missouri, and they try to track their progress with their uh, homestead. Uh, they're just trying to do a homesteading thing from home on a small acreage. Right, um, Oregon Trail. See, that's, yeah. Like, that used to be a game, but now people are actually doing it's it. It's wild, isn't it? it um, choose your own adventure, man. That's the, be that's the beautiful thing about the future. I'm it's, glad it's, it's getting more popular because it's like, it's weird that there's this drive to learn what should be basic skills. You know, they have us for... Uh, like 13 years of public primary education and we don't know how to like grow our own food and like, you know, feed ourselves and live and survive. Like you'd, you'd think survival would be one of the first things we're taught. <laughs> but of course we know that they don't want us to survive. They want us to depend. And so they teach that, us how to depend. <clears throat> that's the key right there. It's taught dependency. Right. And that's what I was saying about my dad in the 1890 plan. He, that he countered that. To say, no, you're gonna have to, if you don't have it together by 18, you're going to have to figure it out. And, of course, like I said, you always could come back home, but you had to go out and try. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, Rick and Charlene, their show, they have their donation levels come with. You can, like, name the animals or they'll put a plaque on their uh, garden bed at certain levels and stuff like that. They have an interesting value proposition. Mm. Um and so we got to name their first rabbit. Uh, we named, Lorian came up with the Jack Harer name. Uh, he's like one of the earlier, they call him the... The Hemperer. The Hemperer. He was like a big <laughs> hemp uh, proponent and a hemp activist and legalization activist. Um, but I, I was falling asleep last night and I just like all of a sudden like bolted up because I was, I was like, I've thought this a number of nights. Of like, oh, we've got two more rabbits to name. They're both girls. I can't think of it, you know. Uh, but then I just like, last night I was like, oh my God, Mary and Jane. I'm making this way too hard. There's the two girls. There you go. So yeah. uh, I was meaning to reach out to Rick this week and say we finally named the rabbits. But And his name is Rick. There you go. Mary yeah. Jane. Rick. Mary Jane. Yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Perfect. Yep. Merry uh, Christmas to the Brandons and the, your little ones. Yeah, Merry Christmas. We appreciate the Christmas uh, wishes. And speaking of Christmas, I do have in my notes here, and I wanted to bring it up. I appreciate your defense of Christmas, too, in general and as a concept, because, um, you know, we know there's been this, like, war attack on Christmas and Christianity and the church mm -hmm. and a lot of different things since, you know, when I when I was growing up and a kid, it was like definitely still the power but i think it's part of that ever since bush thing that you mentioned earlier you know that was the last ruling of the patriarchy and that was the last ruling of like mainstream christianity too yep and so and and, and, and christmas is a huge consumer holiday so we got to parse these things out definitely well that's what i'm we see the attack on christmas in the modern day and it's all it's like expected, but it's also one that there's like a huge generational indifference to uh, in my generation just because of the f the failings we saw of the church growing up and of the organized structure side of all the uh, religion. Mm -hmm. So 
it just felt good because I've said on this show a number of times too of uh, I've stuck up for Christmas, even though in my age group it's really not like popular, you know. It's uh, it's a family holiday. I mean, and what I, and it's different from Thanksgiving being a family holiday. Sure, where th- family Thanksgiving is a, an extended family holiday, where Christmas is a nuclear family holiday. Yeah. So of course it's going to be under attack. Right, um, that makes sense. Yeah. It's what's uh. It's where the control needs to be inserted, you know, to get to the very root of it. Yeah, but then it's funny because, like, with Christmas, it's when you say Christmas, it's one of those things that it can mean so many different things to different people. Because you have Christmas, the religious holiday, sure. Then you have Christmas, the consumer holiday, which I call Giftmas, yeah. which is observed by people that's Muslim, that's uh, yep. Hindu, of all these different races, I mean, excuse me, religion of people, but it's like, oh, I would need to partake in the consumer holiday of buying gifts. Right. That kind of thing. So what happens is you conflate all these different things, and then you have believers that say, oh, no, 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 the Bible says you shouldn't put a tree in your house. Yeah. And you shouldn't, so you have all these well, different forces. It, it's and, wild, too, how many... Uh old time like pagan or spiritual traditions are baked into the whole ritual too because i mean it's christmas time it is a season it is a changing of seasons and so you can believe in literally nothing and you're still going to do christmas rituals just out of sheer survival and how the weather turns and how the changes go um so i just like seeing big picture meta stuff like that and i don't see christmas as um you know, how many shopping days there are left till Christmas. But I also don't see it as the candlelight service it was taught to me growing up. Mm-hmm. I see those as, like, aspects of this even bigger thing that's been going on since, you know, people could even talk to each other. And American Christmas is totally different from all... I mean, because every Christmas, you have Mexico, it's a different thing. Yep. You have some of the Nordic uh, countries where you get reindeer meat and that kind of thing. Like, right. Here, it's all about obnoxious... <laughs> lights and power consumption mm-hmm. and but what that Flexing. does is yeah exactly because I mean, he's built in the commercials look yep like one guy's like hey i got a deal on this thing right here and like oh no i got a truck a bigger you know, truck with, kind a of thing, bigger with a big old bow on it in you a know, bigger garage <laughs> right so it's that it's exactly it's the flex thing which is baked in capitalism because sure. if you had a good year your christmas is going to reflect that kind of thing um yeah. But at the same time, there's a kindness that's in the air around Christmas time. Like, and that's the beauty of it. Like, no matter what you believe, around Christmas time, it's the, what they call the holiday spirit. You got to be careful with that. But Goodwill people are like, men. oh, no, no, you go. Go ahead. Go at the mall. Like, no, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Turn out in front of me. You know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of good. Turn up the, you know, the, the Ben Crosby or the... Uh, 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 Donnie Hathaway, you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. And, and it's like you're feeling good. So how can you hate that uh, when people are collectively happier um, and just like loving? You can't, I don't think people can deny that. But at the same time, it it, it is a big stunt fest. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> it's, a, it's a humongous <laughs> stunt fest. So, and and it really, this this season keeps most businesses afloat. So we had to thank Christmas for a lot of our jobs because 
um, you go out and buy things that you normally wouldn't buy, and yeah. that keeps the economy going. I was interested because uh, I remember a few show a few mo facts ago, might have been mm-hmm. two ago, that you had talked about um, how big it is. You know how big Christmas is, and they're not going to take Christmas. And talking about uh, Mama facts and how she does oh. Christmas, <laughs> I was interested to get like a post mortem of Black Friday if you had one of how uh, well was it what I, they expected did, or what they did was this. They basically canceled Black Friday mm-hmm. or pushed it up or made it earlier or, you know, this kind of thing where they spread it out. Spread it out, yeah. Where you didn't have this. Because, no, we didn't have this. Stamp- I don't remember seeing a stampede this year crushing anybody. Nope. Mm-hmm. No stories about and, it. And the ritual and the ritual sacrifice of, of, you of at the least corporate get, Christmas. You at least get, like, a few great posts on, like, r slash public freakout or something every Black Friday. But, yeah, you're right. This wasn't there this year. and. Even Lorian and I noticed it. Uh, it was funny because we were starting to notice it, and then you brought it up on MoFax, and I was just like, "Whoa, it, it's really a deal." The I think our Walmart did a Black Friday deals like all month or something. You yeah, know? in it November like, it was all month. It was going on, so it was like always Black Friday all year. So there was no need to rush or be there at a certain time. And I think and, a lot of stores didn't even open up that Thursday night either, because you know normally yep. they had started pushing. Yeah. To where they would open up on Thanksgiving night. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of stores said, no, you want you to be home with your family. It's like, yeah, that's true. But also, you can't afford to have this run on the stores. Right. And and then you wake up Saturday after Black Friday and the stores are bare. So I, I did some research on that. And I saw a lot of, of canceling of Black Fridays or, like you said, making the whole month of November basically the Black Friday deals. Yeah. You didn't have those huge draws like where you had like thirty TVs that were like right. kind of like two hundred bucks. First twenty in the door year. get this. Right, you didn't see that this year. Right. So I think they kind of um, just kind of spread it out so it wasn't detectable, but it was definitely a change in the normal Black Friday. Um, well, what we noticed on TV specifically because the TVs on when we're up at my pops and um, we noticed there were only two black friday commercials during that weekend that we mm-hmm. know that we saw at least that got served to us and they both neither were for physical products one was expedia telling you you should get a plane <laughs> ticket right now because that's a great deal but they had a black friday deal and commercial and then the other was like i think an, an online retailer like amazon or somebody like that where it was like oh order your crap online for black friday you know which usually they wait for the Cyber Monday, but they right. they had like Black Friday languages and wording, and like nobody was selling like you said TVs, no physical goods, no like come on in to the storefront and pick this item up. It just was like didn't just didn't happen this year at all. Because I don't think they had the inventory to support it, and then, yeah. then if you ordered on Cyber Monday and you didn't get it to the following Monday, you wouldn't really trip about that. Exactly, you know, like, like you can track kind of your order and watch as it when it's gonna come and. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, they they definitely play some tricks with this Black Friday um, to mask the supply chain issues that we have. Um, but at the same time, I will say this: my mom, she works, uh, she she works for her ministry, and they like got Christmas for over like a hundred kids. Uh, half of them were living in hotels, uh, so. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's this poverty thing is real, and I don't think really with people and all these smashing grabs, like they didn't tie that into Christmas. You notice that they, they they did mm. this weird thing where <laughs> we seeing smashing grabs like spike up during this time of season, but they didn't tie it in with Christmas. I didn't even wow. think about it actually until you just brought it up. Hey, this, the, the, hey people got to have their Christmas. Christmas. It's, it's, it's a phenomenon. It's an unstoppable force, you know. You can be pro <laughs> or anti-Christmas, but Christmas just shrugs and trudges on, you know. It's like, it's the rotation of the earth. like. And it's the stunt. I mean, like, people well, yeah, are going to make sure their kids have Christmas. People will because climb mountains and move cars to for, for the stunt. <laughs> it's the one time a year where non-rich people can feel rich. Yeah. Where your kids can wake up and they got some of the things that they wanted under the tree. You can make you can f- that magic happen for them. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's 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 a highlight, no other, especially not exclusively to moms, but especially to moms, is that when you're all your kids like, oh, the ah, like that kind of thing, and it's just yeah. like they eat it up and all the cylinders are fire, firing in mom's brain is like of the satisfaction of having your kids happy, and that's the one time a year where it's collectively can be done. So it's it's a beautiful thing, but at the same time, it does cause some issues as well. Yeah. Um, we got another voicemail here. Hey, this is Douchebag Pat from Michigan Local Number 1. Um, you got special guests, and Mofax a nice guy and everything, but where is the wolf cub? Oh, <laughs> Douchebag Pat asking where our six-month-old son is. When he was born, uh, we brought him on to Bowl After Bowl every Tuesday night. So you could hear the little baby cooing and (laughs) eating on mic. Mm -hmm. But he is sound asleep in his crib right now, napping through the show. A real wolf? No, no, that's our son. Oh, okay. I'm a... Our human son. (laughs) It's human. (laughs) Okay, no, hey. Yeah, coming from North Carolina, people actually own wolves, so I had That's, to, I had to ask. That is pretty cool, man. Maybe someday, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. I'd love right. to meet a wolf someday, but a wolf. I, I would. I probably think you don't want to. <laughs> Once you own a wolf, it's uh, not a wolf anymore, really. <laughs> actually, I don't. Not in the sense of you gonna you gonna push me down a rabbit hole. Oh oh, no, bring it on! I love. It's because of what dogs are. Dogs are really right. Wolves with learning disabilities. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, because they don't have the inherent fear of man, and that's what brought them. I mean, I'm I'm. This is from my Discovery Channel uh, science degree. Um, (laughs) I love it. Of course, I have multiple de- multiple degrees. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they wouldn't fear humans, so they would come close to humans uh, and the campfires, and the humans figure out, hey, if we throw them a bone, they'll help us hunt. And so dogs don't have the same um, mental makeup as a wolf. Yeah, they've, they've been uh, taught dependency, basically, to us. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah exactly. it becomes a different thing. Exactly. Um, so, and that's why you get a dog sometimes is born and it's like, it's, it's straight wolf. It's like, his, nah, I don't yeah, have, His ancestors uh, are like, <laughs> no, not these humans, man. Right. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but yeah, John, he used to, um, the first half, uh, first six months of his life, or maybe the first three, um, yeah. he'd be, he would just sit down here sleeping and cooing and breastfeeding and all that during the show. So Start sorry, douchebag Pat. <laughs> he's, uh, he's already too old for that now kind of thing. Yeah. We have more voicemails rolling in, so I'll play the next one. Oh, man, that's good. Hey, from snowy southeast Alaska, this is Vox. Vox. And, uh, yeah, I want to talk to Mo. Um, Mo, thank you for all you do. I've really learned a lot from your insights, um, from your perspective, and I would like your perspective now. Uh, My best friend of more than half my life, I'm 51, we became good friends when I was 23, so a long time, right? And he's a black guy. Uh, he's, uh, you know, we're both in our 50s. Uh, and, you know, of course, over that length of time, people are going to change. But he used to be pretty uh, pretty conservative, came from a military family and was pro-military. And um, like his niece got shot by a cop in Santa Barbara in 2015. And even then, I think it was 2015 might have been 14 either way it was still obama and even then he was like you know uh, i know cops screw up and stuff and this guy might be a bad one but i'm still pro cop and screw all that black lives matter stuff but like pretty much since trump was elected he sort of started slowly and then picking up steam and more quickly changing his tune and now He's like all about Black Lives Matter, and it's weird because, you know, I mean, I was hanging out with this guy in the 90s when nobody gave a shit that I was a white chick and he was a black dude, you know? We just hung out together and went dancing at the Icon and, you know, got high, and it was a good time. It was a good time had by all. And what has changed? What has changed? What can What can you tell me about my best friend that could Add perspectives. Thank you. This is Vox. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> Thanks, Vox. Well, there's a big one for you, Mo. I would I would like to give a parallel. First of all, the long answer is to listen to the Mo Facts with Adam Curry, <laughs> and, and you'll get a because you know, you'll get a more in depth. Because I can't. That's, that's yeah. A very broad question, no but doubt. I'll give you a parallel that went on. You used to could cough around people. Mm-hmm. You used to could go to work with a little sniffles. What changed that? <laughs> yeah, this whole scandemic. You see, you see what I'm saying? So exactly. Yeah, they, they could take anything and weaponize it. Yep. Um, it used to be. I, I mean, you used to will be called into work like, oh, you only got some sniffles. Man, you better suck it up and get in here. You know, yeah. kind of thing. But now go to work with, with your nose running. And they're going to be like, they're going to try to stick thermometers everywhere they can. Right. And, saying, and COVID test you to death. And you say, okay, what changed? And how fast it changed is fear. And that's what I'm saying about mm-hmm. spells and mind control that they take information and weaponize it to manipulate people to control the way they think, which is i.e. a spell. And this is how witchcraft works. And unfortunately, when you combine what happened with Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing with the pandemic of being isolated and people watching news 24-7 
and being isolated in their homes, some people, you know, formed, I mean, well, succumbed to the witchcraft. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question, but just, just take another parallel and look at that, how what was socially acceptable a well, few years ago is looked at as you're trying to kill people. Yeah. You know? That's <laughs> interesting like, of like, you, you point out why can't you cough around anybody anymore? And we have like a pretty tight time frame of like when that happened two years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting. Vox specifically mentioned like the since Trump got elected thing. I think you, you think you might have your answer in your own question there where you're saying like, well, this was around the time it happened and you can probably kind of pinpoint what around that time with the rise of Trump, there was also a rise and a renewed opportunity for race Inc and mm -hmm. for black lives matter Inc. Like you're talking about, um, they kind of had an opportunity that, you know, a lot, a lot of their opportunity is taken away when you have a black president too, you know, like, and, and it's so bad to the point when you bring up Trump and I know people just got triggered just by hearing that name yeah. mm -hmm. that you have to use things like orange man, or I use 45 Savage. Right. To what it is, is it's a uh, de-escalator of sure. the trigger. Yeah. Because when you say 45 Savage, people chuckle and it's like it gives them a minute to breathe. Right. And not get into that cycle of hate. Well, they want to um, they want to binary right. your, you without having information about you as a person. They just like as soon as they hear words like that, as soon as they hear Trump, they want to binary you. And then mm -hmm. they go. Oh, you're basically it comes down to oh you're with me or or you're against me. So you'll get a Trump guy, and they'll think like oh yeah you're with me or a Trump guy, or they'll think oh you're against Trump, and then you'll have the opposite reaction of the opposite binary on the other side, and really all four of those squares are wrong where we fall in, you know like. Mm -hmm. And and the proof of this is you could take something that Trump did, AK forty five Savage, um, did. And Biden does the same thing, and the same person will have a different reaction. Yep. yep. Just like with the banning of the flights from Africa or whatever. Oh, that's fine when Biden <laughs> yeah. did it. And it's like, what? So that lets you know that people are not thinking rationally. So this is why we push on the show, and we actually call it the vaccine, is empathetic listening. Sure. You have to listen to people empathetically and not have a, an agenda for listening to them just Listen to hear them. And then you can say, okay, well, that's a trigger point. Let me avoid that. Let me, you know, find a way in so I can be understood. Because that's the goal, right? A lot of times people want to be right. Um, sure, when we should yeah. seek to be understood, not to be right. Yeah. That's an important distinction, too, for sure. Um, and that's, that's what I'm glad about this whole community, man. Whether it's the meetups or the shows or no agenda itself twice a week like just a bunch of people coming together and trying to shed all of this uh propaganda arm trying to shed all of the illusions and um also trying to admit hey like we don't have all the answers either but we know how to look for them uh mm -hmm. like like why it's so important that you end your show every time uh with pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself like we're just tune we're all helping each other tune in and like maybe i miss something completely that you bring to us and help us see it through another way like dude your your george floyd thing 
crushed me and the humanization you did mm-hmm. and um it's not a pick aside thing and it's not a deconstruction thing so much as it is a hey here's another human that we all totally like talk about every day and didn't even look at as a human yeah why he why he struggled not to <laughs> why people struggle not to be arrested right you know if you have an opioid addiction mm-hmm the last thing you're trying to do is go through the seven days of hell of detox. Correct, yeah. So that means if it's running, struggling, uh, crying, begging, you go through all those phases. It's just like, just don't make me go be sick. Yeah, it's a fate worse than death in a lot of situations, man. Right. So if you understand from that standpoint of it, then you can say, oh, I can see why people run from the police. Right, yep. Uh, now, some people are just a-holes and run from the police, too. Yeah. Um, because they don't want to be caught. But you're talking about with people with chemical dependencies. Yeah, especially the to, opiates, man. Right. Those those are that's a that's very that's a very harsh sickness that people will do anything to avoid. Yeah. No, I never even like. It's funny because even people will talk about the fentanyl, the fentanyl, the fentanyl. But even me coming from the background I did, and this is why I was almost embarrassed listening to the show having that frame of view for the first time, I'm like, dude, I've known George Floyd's in my own fucking life, and I didn't mm-hmm. see the addict. I didn't see the addict. I just saw the pawn that they were using, you know? Because both sides weaponized him, right? It yeah. was yeah. one Heavily, side, yep. he's this gentle giant that never did anything, and then which is not true, and that's binary. Right. And then the other side was that he was this raging lunatic that needed to be taken down. Right. You know, and and it was like, okay, well, that's not it either. So yep. the answer is somewhere in the middle, and this is where people want to start using their heads, and like, it's not a binary answer to these situations. Uh, it's a shade of gray somewhere in the middle. Um, and if you come in with that kind of thinking, then uh, you at least be able to reach somebody to the point and say, you know what, I see where you're coming from, but I don't look at that the way. So at least you understand where I'm coming from. And yeah. what I'm basing my my um my opinion on. Uh but if I just like, hey, if you don't if you don't believe what I believe, screw you. Um that's very I don't think people understand how dangerous we are right now. Yeah. With this binary thinking to it be the point where I mean, hell, people are saying now, let people starve. You don't want the jab, starve. Uh-huh. It's like it's like Huh? Yeah, what? it's crazy. It's or crazy don't, the don't have a job. You know, don't want to take the jab, don't have a job. And then you say, hold on, but it doesn't work. Right, yeah. It's like <laughs> <laughs> You tell them, like, look, the whole NBA is shutting down right now. Yeah, everybody. And they're having to call Kyrie Irving back to play. And he didn't take the vaccine. Crazy. Yep. But people, they're so stuck in their spell. And God bless them. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that has to be a terrible way to be not to be able to empathize and humanize people yeah i i agree and what now i've had the kind of general feeling for the last year at least but maybe longer of not really wanting to be the matrix guy pulling the plug out of people like more of just like let people sleep you don't want to wake up and see this but mm-hmm. Do you see that as like a dereliction of duty or am I just looking at it like 
maybe be the example and not the preacher or maybe be, you know, like, I just feel like it's so dangerous binary thinking that like the, even the attempts to wake people up or even the attempts to be like, well, this is what's really going on are going to be almost more harm than good, almost more harm to you than actually helping anybody wake up in the sense of a finger wag, wake up. I don't think you can wake anybody up before it's their time to wake up. But what you can do is leave little breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this happen so many times where you just say, oh, that's that's weird. That's strange. I wonder why they did that that way. <laughs> and then when people finally get it and, and like they like, they be like, hold it. And then they'll start asking themselves the same questions. Mm. And I've seen this so many times. But I'll say this as well. The truth, it can be a drug. I oh, mean, yeah. you have people look cutting hard lines at 3 o'clock in the morning when they got to be at work. And they're going down rabbit hole after yep. rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And then you become socially awkward on your chase for this truth. Yeah. And and that's why I phrase it that way. Pay attention. Pay attention. Just pay attention to what things are being shown to you. And when you start putting the little pieces together, um, it's kind of like Wheel of Fortune, right? Right. <laughs> Once you start getting the letters turning over, uh-huh. it's like, oh, okay. It's almost um, like the, this pursuit of the truth isn't, it's like it's necessary, but it's not as necessary as emphasized in that you don't have to run around chasing it. it the truth's running around in front of your face every day as you go about your life. Mm-hmm. And so like what you're saying, just tune in, relax, and watch everything as it goes by with an analytical eye. And like you're saying, yeah, then it'll slowly start to just manifest. It's not something you have to chase. In fact, there are a lot of traps set up for people who do chase it all the time, you know? They're like, oh, well, if you're chasing it, you should read this. You should read this, you know? Oh, check out all this Q stuff, like super confirmed, like trip code, verified. And that's the thing. And I I have a lot of truther friends. Sure. And I have friends that aren't are that's just in the living life too. So I have a good balance. But my truth of friends, like they're hardcore. Like cause they've yeah. been doing this for 10, you know, 20, I mean, what's 9-11? So I mean, like sure, at least 20 yeah. years. I mean, we're talking about people that's 20-year OGs in the truth yep. game. And they'll just take somebody and pepper them with facts. Yeah. And it's like I have to tell them, like, hey, the truth is like a merry-go-round, right? Um, or this search for truth. It's like a merry-go-round. And I don't know if you had those when you were growing up, but when the big kids would come, they would spin it so fast yep. that if you weren't on, you couldn't hop on. And if you were on, yep. you were holding on for dear not yeah, you life not off. to get slung off. Yep. Oh, yeah, so definitely. What, so what we had to do is slow this merry-go-down around, merry-go-around down slow enough where people can get on. It's just like, okay, yeah. WTC7. You ever heard of it? No. Right. Oh, you might want to look into that. Yeah. You know, or I mean, if 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 that's your thing, or like Black Friday, maybe that was something somebody would get. Oh, you know, that is weird. You know, they did that. Black Friday was kind of weird this year. Yeah, they dropped it, but nobody said nothing about it. There wasn't even like you'd expect there to be like a bunch of news hour reports. Black Friday was totally different this year, but no one said shit. Right. And it's like with the uh, like if you just come at people like you know the Fabian socialist and da 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 and you hit them with all these facts right just either like, one they're gonna walk away from it looking like you're crazy yeah are you gonna thrust them down a rabbit hole and you're gonna make them crazy yep so be careful with the truth man that this it's it's like we're talking about potency of weed <laughs> like, yeah no like, that's just hand them just hand them a join of <laughs> Reggie it's like here. Smoke this Reggie, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, if you if that's what you're into, 
you know, I'm just going to give you a little baggie. You know, here you go. Right. Uh, you can't break them out with the, uh, you know, the... Uh, yeah, the, the OG triple OG Kush. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna, you're gonna have them laid out. Your first experience with weed cannot be a dab rig. <laughs> right? You, know. you don't do that to people. <laughs> uh, we we do have one uh, more voicemail in the queue. Okay, two more. Uh, two Ow, more. Bowler. Ow. Love hearing you guys after the No Agenda stream or on the No Agenda stream after No Agenda. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome that you're talking to Mo Facts. Hope everybody's doing great on this Sunday afternoon. Uh, bowlers, uh, you know, I love your show, Spencer Lorian and uh, Mo, I love your show as well. And uh, I love hearing you uh, get into uh, covens and, and magic and all these death cults that uh, tend to run our society. I don't really have a question, I just wanted to say I really enjoy everything you talk about, especially when you get into that stuff. So, uh, Whoa. happy, happy trails traversing those rabbit holes and all that, and uh. In the bowl, in the morning, in the smoker. Heck yeah. Thanks, Fletcher. And uh, we do, we have a, oh, sorry. Do you want to? I just want to say one thing, but I always get in trouble because when I try to humanize people like Fauci and Bill Gates, mm. but I keep the same energy no matter who it is. It's like somewhere deep in their mind, they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And then it's not trying to take up for them, but it's like seek first to understand. Didn't be understood. Right. Like they are also why are you doing this? A... Like why are you playing God? And it's like, well, we got too many people here. You know, yeah. don't you get it? It's you for know? your own good, man. Right. But when they um, say that, they believe that. Yes, they truly believe that. I yeah, I agree with you because it wouldn't be. Um, it's so natural for them to do all these things, but if they didn't truly believe in it, it would not even. It would be less than natural. It'd be difficult you know mm -hmm. but no it drives them so it's it's their own uh truth or perspective um here's oh hey bowlers hey mo facts um hey hey i just want to thank mo for the show uh i dated uh, a black woman for for five years and then she lived with me for two uh her son lived with us for about a year and a half uh and I, I wish I, I wish I was listening to the show early on in our relationship because it uh, Mo explains a lot of things. She was uh, from Windsor, Ontario, uh, but uh, uh, I think the what you cover on the show is amazing and it uh, uh, opens a lot of uh, stuff that I apparently I definitely did not understand when I was. Uh, with her, I don't think it would have maybe changed the results of the relationship, but it just probably would have avoided a lot of fights. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really, uh, really appreciate that. Uh, also, um, how, do you think at this point that uh, the black community is definitely afraid of COVID? Because it seems to be that that's kind of the consensus around uh the Detroit area at least. Uh everybody seems afraid, but uh definitely the uh the black community seems extra afraid here. Uh and and I feel I I understand uh their vaccine hesitancy uh and I can understand a lot of uh why they they believe the things that they believe but uh 
it just seems kind of odd that uh, the that that group seems to be much more scared than than the rest of uh, the community at large around here. So, in the bowl, in the bowl. So I I, I don't speak for all the community or all anybody, but sure. I want to say this: it's this. We have to understand two things. One, <clears throat> something's killing the hell out of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking pre-vaccine. Um, as far as what it is, I don't know. Is it just the flu and they're labeling it COVID? You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. Right. But it's killing people. So you can't convince somebody who's lost a loved one that's close to them and they're told it's COVID um, that it's not Killing people. Yep. So that's one thing we have to be careful of uh, when people say, oh, it's, oh, it's a hoax. It's this, this, that. Something's killing people. Yeah. Now, what it is, now, I'll, I'll say this. It's one of those things that a lot of people already had one foot on the banana peel. Right. With, due to cheap food that's high in salt, sugar. Um, to be honest with you, fast food and junk food is the number one drug by far. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. By far. So you have these people that suffer from this acceptable uh, drug war, a war on people through this drug called salt and sugar. And then they're hit with this COVID thing or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And then they go to the hospital and then they're put on ventilators and they're not given uh, treatment that could help them until, you know, they're the worst off. And so people are in a weird spot. It's like, I don't want your vaccine, but it's killing people. But I don't want your vaccine, but it's killing people. So it's definitely something to be afraid of because, um, and then the media, I mean, the media is playing into it and they have this running death toll. And, you know, um, every time you hear somebody, I, I haven't heard a person that hasn't died of COVID, that hasn't died of COVID. Yeah, everything is COVID. It's like, yep. what they die of? Uh, COVID complications. What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Like, does that mean that they died with COVID or of COVID? Because those are two different ways to count it, but not in people's minds. Um, right? You, know, you see yeah, what I'm saying? Like, it's like somebody saying, if you didn't, if you die with no money in your pocket, you died broke. Yeah. Like technically, that's not the same thing. You didn't have any money on your person when you died. Right. You didn't die technically broke. So. They play these number games, yeah. and once again, we go back to the mind control and the manipulation through data, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. witchcraft control, and then you have people that's uh, um, that's totally scared, but then the other thing is you have people that's totally don't think anything's going on, and they're living their life like it never happened. Right. Um, and we saw this with a lot of younger people, like with spring break and that kind of thing, yep. where they showed up to Florida, and they were just uh, you know, saying chilling. Yep. Uh, so it's like I said, it's it's to have a consensus on why people think this way. You have to follow them back and see where they get their information from, and yeah, that definitely. takes understanding. Like why why do you fear, or why don't you fear, or why do you wear a mask, or why don't you wear a mask? Um, but it takes that you have to do the work as far as sitting down with somebody and have a conversation with them. Um, because everybody has their own, and a lot of people. I'm gonna say this: 
some people will just say it because they don't want to be the outsider to say, you know, I'm not yep. scared of COVID. Yeah. So it's like the peer pressure is like, oh, you ain't scared of COVID, huh? Are you one of those anti-vaxxer deniers, huh? You think it's a hoax. Right. It's like, no, but I just don't live my life in fear. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, sometimes it's people find it easier just to blend in and not to uh, even signal differently. Like, they're not going to make an argument either way, but they're just going to, you know, go with the... Go with what everyone's expecting or go with the crowd, you know? And I'll give you an example of that. Because if you walk into a room, people and say, raise your hand if you're not vaxxed. If you're not vaxxed. Uh-huh. Most of the unvaccinated people will leave their hand now. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Because it's like I'm hiding in plain sight. Kind of like I don't want to out myself uh, uh, to bring un- unnecessary attention to myself. You know, so Definitely, I'll keep yeah. my hand down. Um. Now, if they're asked that same question in a different way, say, if you are vaxxed, raise your hand, they might be likely not to raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, that uh, that dynamic and how you, how loud you choose to live, you know? Um, there's kind of a, a parallel in, in smoking, especially when you first start smoking weed and, like, some guys are just, like, in legal states, just chief right in front of you, like no matter where it's at, it could be like an inappropriate time or place, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's just like, Oh yeah, I'm not breaking no law, you know? And sometimes you, you know, people like 10 years and then you're like, Holy shit, you smoke. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's the one like, that gets well, you. Like, Are you smoke? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Never would have guessed it. Oh, All right. Um, we had two text messages roll in. Uh, the okay. first one is from Michael in the MO. He says, Mo, I'm just a crazy white dude in Northwest Missouri wanting to say thank you for all you do. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective of current and past events. Thank you for you saying appreciating the show. I mean, y'all, you all are what make it happen uh, as far as showing up and, and showing your value. And it comes in many different forms, uh, time, talent, and treasure uh, and kind words as well. And prayer. I think, that's one of the most underrated forms of value is prayer. In my book, that's just my book. I agree. Uh, the second text is from Lady Mountain Jay. She says, in the morning, here's my question for Mo. Thank you for your courage. I'm curious to hear your experiences and thoughts about public schooling and homeschooling. Thanks. I'm a new homeschooler. And this goes back to the magic conversation when I said the magic wore off mm-hmm. with the media, also with the education system. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when I was starting to listen, like I'm like I'm under in, I'm underwhelmed or under I mean excuse me underimpressed with what my kids are receiving as far as education is concerned. Yeah. I could put a better curriculum together than they they're getting at school, yeah. but they went going to that big stone pretty building with those nicely decorated hallways and classrooms, so the magic was gone. Yep. It's like you're in your living room <laughs> and my kids are in their living room or they're they're at their desk in their room. Yep. There there there's no magic there. Uh and and it ruined the educational system. Uh in a sense that it's the mar- the mystery and the marvel is gone. So I can do that. I can, you know, I can build a uh educational uh curriculum around what I want my kids to learn and you know, um, of course, I have the luxury of working from home. Uh, yeah. 
and my wife is uh, at home most of the time. So we that is a luxury. But yeah, it's they they shot themselves in the foot. I mean, I have an 18 year old daughter and she doesn't watch movies. I asked her, I was like, "What movie you want to go see?" No, nah, I don't watch movies. Nice. So they ruined their whole. <laughs> yep. They they ruin music. No music. There's there's no there's no music anymore. Yeah. See, uh, I I uh I kind of feel that same way, and I was just wondering if like it had finally happened, and now I'm an old guy. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like there's just nowhere to turn to for. Uh, well, pop for music. Let me be clear. Pop music. Right. There's no more pop. What and that includes rap, but. The mainstream music, the mainstream movies, yep. television is still alive because of streaming. But other than that, nobody. There's no big draws for concerts anymore, um, or or draws to movies. I haven't seen a movie in the last two or three years. I was like, oh, I got to go see that. Yep. Yeah, it's um, wild. Um, you you have time for a couple more sure. uh, voicemails. All right. Hey, bowlers. Hey, hey. I have a question for Mo Facts, and I also just wanted to say um, I really enjoy Mo Facts with Adam Curry, and I enjoy your your lives on YouTube with Young Grump. I always enjoy that. Um, I have a question about when you when you go into a deep dive on like on an artist like. You know, like an actor or, or like your favorite, your favorite musical group or singer. Do you find, do you ever find that you don't like them after because of what you found? All right. Later, everybody. This is Carolyn. Later, Carolyn. First of all, I appreciate you listening to the lives and the, and the podcast. And uh, that's the beautiful thing about it. Uh, she brought up Young Grump. Mm-hmm. And this is a young man that uh, I started to work with. So I'm like, okay, if Adam did that with me, I need to find somebody you know, to work with. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, so it's like, you know, you pay it forward kind of thing. But, I mean, it's not just out of the sense of just charity. It's out of here's a talented person that just needs a nudge, right? Yeah. So um, it's the same thing. So I'm glad that she appreciates his work as well. But do I get disenchanted with people? When I do their a deep dive on them, now it depends. If it's they believe in some wonky stuff that may be esoteric or that kind of thing doesn't line with me, nah, that really doesn't bother me that much. But if it's in harming people or it's nefarious things that are harmful to, to the collective, yes. Um, and that was like one of the first rabbit holes that I went down with Jay Z. I was a huge Jay Z uh, fan. I'm talking. Yeah. 96 reasonable doubt i was one of the first people that bought that cd wow um a lot of people like got on jay-z when hard not lives came out but yeah i was there in 96 but then i started to hear stuff and see stuff and symbolism and um the alex the Crow- uh, crowley shirts and uh you know the throwing up with the three six or the you know the illuminati okay whatever you want to call it yeah the the, the one eye triangle thing right that kind of thing yeah. and I was like, uh, wait a minute, because what you're doing is you're misleading people. If you're open to say, hey, I'm into this, I'm into this, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you're open. I don't have a problem with it because you give a people a fair chance to walk away from it. But when you try to mask it 
or hide it or be manipulative with it, I, I do lose uh, my taste for their work. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like, we, I mean, I, I've never heard the Yeezus album. I was like, that's that's too blas- blasphemous for me. Mm. Uh, uh, like I said, with Jay-Z. And there's this Jay-Z line. He he tells you what he's about in a line, and I can never unhear it. He says, and I think it's uh, Ghetto Boys. It's on Puff Daddy's album with him, Jay-Z, and Biggie. And he says, I'm... Um, he says I'm the new world order, but I keep it ghetto like sunflower seeds and quarter waters. Mm. And I've heard that line a thousand, I mean a hundred times. Yeah. And I heard it one day. I'm like, wow. He just sit here and said it. And then when you go look at rerun this town with the mask and everything, like mm-hmm. they they let you. That was like some straight up Antifa uh, uh, predictive programming going on in that video. Yeah. With the mat, the mask was like covering of the face was huge in that video, and I was like, "They're really pushing this covering of the face thing, huh?" But it didn't make sense. But when I saw Antifa and the mask now due to COVID and everything, I was like, "Oh, okay, he was clued in early in the game." So yeah, when wow. with people like that, I can't really. I'm like, you're you're mis you're misleading a whole generation of people. Yep. If yep. your beliefs is that great, if if your beliefs are that great. Just be honest about it. Be open about it. Like, look, I'm into this. Right. Uh, like but, a Marilyn Manson. Like, at least with Marilyn Manson, you got to have respect for him. Like, hey, I'm into, <laughs> I'm into, you know, some sort of hardcore uh, devil worship. So, right. okay. Yeah. At least I know, you know, I won't listen to you. Thank you. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's when it gets insidious and like hidden like that, you're right. It's a, it's a whole different animal. Right. Uh, you got, you got another voicemail? Yep. Two more. Okay. Hey, uh, hopefully this gets in in time. Been listening to the stream, driving back to Louisiana from Texas. Uh, you made it. So I want to say I really appreciate the conversations y'all have. Uh, Mr. Sir Spencer, Dame DeLorean, Mr. Mo Fax on each of your respective shows. And I'm very happy to be listening to y'all on the stream uh, together. I think it's a great show, great content. Thank Keep you. Doing what you're doing. Much love. Peace. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, and I appreciate it as well. Um, like I said, man, it's just a great community over here. Yeah, um, that's um, all the love and just being like uh, that feedback loop of uh, just <laughs> letting us know, hey, it's working, you know? Even even that little bit, it's um, you don't realize what you're actually contributing just by doing that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's um, that feedback response and that. Uh, what the listeners are saying and thinking and what directions they want to go is a big part of what keeps us uh, on the right path. So we appreciate it for sure. Oh my God. In the bowl, in the fucking bowl, <laughs> in the bowl. Low facts on the post, no agenda show. Can you get any better? I know that you will and can doesn't seem like you can, Really go higher, but this is pretty high. Oh, <laughs> damn, you are really high. Wow, <laughs> wow. really high. So, congratulations, Lorian and Spencer and Mofax. A beautiful trifecta, I must say. An absolutely magical trifecta. You know, you know, I was going to say that. Uh, a magical <laughs> three for show, faux show. So, uh, I'm so proud of you guys. I love hearing you together and just everything that you're discussing just 
hits it hits right on the head. It's right on target, on the pulse. And it's what we need to hear. It's what we need to think about and discuss. And I really appreciate it. It it matters so much that we really focus on it. Focus on seeing through the veil and going beyond that. How much further can we go? There is no limit, really. Um, I have a, a question, Mo, and um, I have a question for you. And, and uh, forgive me if you if you've discussed this on any of your episodes, and I haven't heard it. Uh, I wondered how young were you, or do you remember how young you were when you really first started seeing through the code, the matrix, the veil yourself? And when you first really started seeing the bullshit and questioning the government, questioning authority, um, and uh, started, you know, even reading about it at some point. But when you do, you remember when you first had those thoughts and continuously questioned and never stopped since then. Was it one, uh, another question is, was it one event? Was it something you heard or read or just something that you felt and really intuited for yourself? Yes, thank you. <laughs> Hopefully that's not too much. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, it's wonderful hearing you guys. You just, you just keep, you know, giving your all. And I really, I really love you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Yeah, we love you, Quirkus. In the bowl. 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 Yeah, what was Baby Moe's first red pill, I guess? <laughs> the, the first red pill I had, and this is going to be funny, I had to be about seven, eight years old. Nice. And there was this special, I can't I remember if it was on HBO or PBS, but it was How Commercials Are Made. Ooh. And... The one that really stuck out to me, it was, it was tar- aimed at children, you know, and it was cereal. And that fact that they put glue in cereal instead of milk. Whoa, yeah. So it doesn't get the cereal soggy. And then they went on to how they make the hamburgers, like the Big Macs and those kind of things look on television. Yeah. Like the sandwich that you see <laughs> that never looks like it when you go to buy it. Yeah. How much process they have to go through the airbrush the lines on there i mean that was me. they airbrush the meat then they take sears and sear the lines onto the meat that kind of thing yep. but the glue in the cereal that was like wow. that's when i started watching television in a whole nother way dang that's of so... watching it in clips or fragments or and i was always the kind of person that i was perk up on commercials um and see how they were selling stuff how a huge QVC watcher just oh, to yeah. see how somebody could be there for an hour <laughs> to sell you a product and they would go through every different angle yeah, um, to present information to you to make you pick up that phone and dial in to buy that item that you couldn't see or touch or feel. And you t- you're talking about colognes and perfumes and things that you couldn't even smell, right? So that was the first thing. Then coming up in hip hop, you had the Tupac thing. Was he dead? Was he alive? Uh, was he was it murder fake? That kind of thing. Then you have Wu Tang Clan, which woke up a lot of people. If yeah. you listen to Wu Tang Clan, it's specifically like the 
Risen, Jizzin, those kind of people, they were dropping like uh talking about uh 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 was like sensors put into skin and yeah. uh microchips put in the baby's earlobes mm-hmm. and the poison of food and that kind of thing. So uh I mean when I first heard about the Illuminati it was from Mob Deep. From wow. uh from uh yeah, from Mob Deep and then, you know, Tupac had uh the Killuminati. Yep. So these things were popping up pre-internet. Sure. So it was like, who is the Illuminati and what is this thing about? And that kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah. it was a process, right? And then 9-11 was the one It was like, are you going to bleed TV or your lying eyes? Then <laughs> <So, laughs> I was like, after that, I was like, yeah, man, yeah. come on. Like, this is this is some BS right here. So that was that was my, um the, the process. But I, I would say the most impactful thing was that putting glue in cereal because i was wow. like this is all fake then yeah that's everything wi- is fake that's wild that you say that because i i couldn't have been much older than that when my dad growing up my dad worked at a, a pre-press printing shop mm-hmm. and so they do like printing for cereal boxes or ice cream cartons or uh hallmark cards or a lot of different things like that they do the the setting the plate design you know mm-hmm. um so before it goes to print but he told me that all of the ice cream on the ice cream cartons is mashed potatoes. See? That doesn't melt. And <laughs> that blew my mind, but it just didn't. It's weird because I, I just had these isolated pockets. Like that in mm. itself blew my mind, but I didn't draw a single connection between that and anything else that existed. It was just like a fact that I had all on its own of like, oh, yeah, that's not ice cream. That's mashed potatoes. But I didn't say, well, what else isn't what it is? You know, what else out there is like, I think it's cool to be presented in how commercials are made. Like, oh, here's a bunch of different examples. And the reason they do it is manipulation, you know, like um, (laughs) it's a simple and innocent explanation of like, well, yeah, they can't use ice cream in a photo shoot. It would melt by the end of the shoot. You know, like it doesn't seem sinister and nefarious as to what's going on. It's like, Oh, they had to come up with this solution to a unique problem. You know, it's clever. And it goes to show you the packaging of, you know, these products and media is just another product, right? It's the packaging yeah. of the product. But when you said, and like I said, you were just told one factoid, but watching that documentary, it was like, all of this is what we call now is cap. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is everything is made up on television. Of course, we know that, but. To the extent they go through um, of handpicking the flakes, uh, just putting a bowl of apples together. You know, they go through 10 bags of apples. Yeah. Um, And when you start to see stuff like that, it's like, okay, now I get it. Like, everything is staged. And then then another thing I realized was, and I came up with this on my own, uh, but that how television is made. Television is made, we have commercials and we need shows to fit around the commercials. Right. Like when you start to understand that, (laughs) they sell ad time and then they need shows to fill up those gaps between the commercials instead of most people think they have a great TV show and they have to segment it with with commercials. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's the opposite way around. They They just make you think that it's only true of the Super Bowl that that's that way. And then all the yes. rest of TV isn't just like that. No, it's it, and, and what confirmed that for him, I always believed that 
But what confirmed that for me was Mad Men, which is one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite. I go back and forth between two or three shows, but you know, they the storylines are even written around the products. Wow. Um, and then you have product placement and all those kind of things. So yeah, I mean, once you realize television is it one big uh Magic show, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, then that 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 neutralizes their number one source of um, a manipulation. Yeah. Well, man, like when I started listening to No Agenda, I had just started listening to podcasts, and then only three or four of those, and you start hearing the the memes that have already been deconstructed, and then you hear them on other podcasts, and it's like, oh, damn! You just made all of that unlistenable. You just broke the spell, like. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even take this serious now. I I'd probably drop like five podcasts when I started listening to Agenda just because it was like, oh shit. And, and, and let me give you the little factoid of how I got to the television, how it was made. Chuck Willery, when he would say, "Be back in two and two, I'm like, how do you know it's going to be two minutes of commercials? <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Like, cause when yeah. you're looking at television, you're thinking like, oh, we got to stop to pay the bills, kind of thing. No, 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 no. The bills are already paid. <laughs> it's right. Just like, yeah. We need to entertain you until we can show you another commercial. And so. now a brief message from our sponsors. Right. Pfizer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Pfizer luckily does not uh, sponsor this show or your show or oh, yeah, no, any no, of the no, shows okay. in our realm, which is a, a great. Uh, the value for value method really um, is the truth and the way forward. Well, Mo. I could sit here and talk to you <laughs> until midnight uh, easily, but uh, we do want to be respectful of your and everyone's time. And just uh, thank you again so much for hanging out with us. And um, we'll have to have you back in the bowl soon, man. It was a really great time and I appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. And thank you for being a huge distraction from me getting wild in my fantasy uh, football and and in my season. So I appreciate you uh, for oh, the distraction. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> Sorry about your fantasy. Oh, uh, man, but, yeah, happy to be a distraction, dude. All right. Thank you very much. It was, it was, I really enjoyed it, and I hope to come back soon. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll be in touch. All right. Have a good one. Take care. And thank you, uh, bowlers out there and No Agenda Nation, for tuning in. I've been Dame DeLorean. I've been Sir Spencer. And until Tuesday, may your bowls burn ever brighter. It is on, folks. It is on. It is on. All cash, baby. Yeah, I like money, though. Stay stoned.